On this episode of the Star Wars Time Show, Matt and Nick will be chatting with Alex Laurent, a visual effects art director who has worked on Star Wars films and other sci-fi gems. After the interview, the dudes will shift their attention to our Kenobi exclusive that no one else seemed to care about, but they do, and they'll make sure you understand why. They'll also talk about the Book of Boba Fett premiere date and celebrity fan castings for major Star Wars character roles. The show will wrap with this week's version of the fan segment featuring question of the week responses and this week's top five featured artist celebration. Punch it, Chewy. Everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode. We're not we're not welcoming you back. You're just welcome back to the Star Wars Time Show. And if you're on the live stream, you notice we have a special guest. We teased it on our Instagram, but we are joined by Mr. Alex Laurent, who is a visual effects art director. Uh, and who has done that role on multiple kick-ass sci-fi films and franchises, including the Star Wars. So Alex is here today to kind of talk about how he got into all this art stuff, right? We call it real-ass paint over here because we're kind of dumb. We don't know all the technical terms. <laughs> real-ass paint. But, but yeah, real-ass paint. But that, that, that's why we, we bring in people like Alex, who has worked on Star Wars. Uh, I'll, I'll give you some of his credits to set him up here. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, some fantastic sci-fi stuff in addition to Star Wars. But in terms of Star Wars, Alex worked on the special edition edits, kind of working with some of the new stuff, uh, new stuff conceptually that was added to the the three films he also had a hand in attack of the clones in particular those really heavy visual effects sequences on camino with the clones Uh, but in addition to that he has worked on the mummy minority report saving private ryan green lantern i mean like i said uh what was it the, the day after tomorrow? Also, uh, fantastic pop culture films that you know Star Wars film uh, Star Wars fans typically also appreciate. So, Alex, thank you for joining the Star Wars Time Show. We always appreciate it when, when, when someone with your credits comes on to the uh, the podcast here. So, thanks again. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. All right, Alex. So typically the way we do these things is we, we want to learn a bit about our guests and, and how Star Wars has kind of impacted their life. I mean, obviously for you, it's had a larger impact than just a fan like Nick and I. But, you know, before you, got, you started working at ILM, was Star Wars something important to you as a fan first versus uh, working with Star Wars? Oh man, that is a loaded question. You, I've got more answer than you're than you can handle. I'm sure. No, just the right amount. I've got so much to say about that question. That unlocks like a whole treasure chest of nostalgia that's going to just come okay. kind of gushing out now. So Perfect. get ready. Uh, yeah, big answer. Yes, I mean like religious experience, like a conversion kind of. I was pretty well primed for it though. I was. Uh, so I, I'm. I'm 
those that are watching can tell with the gray in my hair. I'm, I'm old school, which is just a nicer, hipper way of saying old. So, uh, OG, whatever you want to call it, I go back. And so for me, the opening of Star Wars episode four, I guess it would be the, for A New Hope, the original Star Wars uh, opening Oh, happened when I was, I think, a junior in high school in the, okay. in the late 70s. So that gives you, if you want to do the napkin math, please don't. <laughs> then that'll tell you just how old school I am. But that's the period of my life when that opened up. But a little bit of backstory. I was kind of primed for it in a way that maybe not your average person was. And that I was a sci-fi fanatic, nerd, geek, whatever you want to call it, for years earlier. Uh, because I had been... Uh, I'd been raised in, lucky enough to be raised by an artist, first of all. I was raised in, in a house with my mom, a painter. She was a painter who didn't just paint, you know, nice little still lifes of things. She did that too, but she she painted surrealistic okay. stuff. So, you know, like Salvador Dali and Magritte. You've seen surrealism. You kind of know what that term means. Well, hey, Alex, real quick. I think you you yeah. dabble in that too, right? Because we, we actually have your Instagram page up right now. And I would I would classify oh, some of that yeah, as yeah. surreal, right? Yeah. So it, it, it rubbed off a bit, huh? You, you picked up a few skills well, from your mother. I won't deny it. Uh, nature versus nurture, whatever you want to debate that. I think there's a heavy argument in my case for, for both. So she gave me a lot of DNA that came through her father, who was also a painter, not a surrealist. But anyway, I grew up with all this kind of fantastical imagery around me. It was normal. And for whatever reason, I got bitten by the fantasy and science fiction bug uh, at a very early age. I went to see some like animation festivals and saw some of the old black and white, you know, stop motion films and Technicolor stop motion animation films. And like many a film effects geek will tell you, Harryhausen, Ray Harryhausen, the stop motion animator, considered the grandfather of modern special effects, visual effects, as we know them. Uh, you know, he was an inspiration to so many. Uh, there were other visual effects veterans of that whole earlier era that I would see bits and pieces of. And I, I slowly started to learn about how these movies were made. And mind you, this was a pretty black box kind of industry then. It's not like today where there is an industry, a visual effects industry that's not only established and provides a very nice career path for many, many people around the world, but it's also got its own fan base and following, not to mention the fact that the tools themselves are now in the hands of everybody. So visual effects are this thing that's been democratized and everybody can kind of do it now in some fashion, which is fantastic. Everyone's got the paintbrush now. Back then, going, you know, going back into the time travel, it wasn't that way. It was very hard to find out about what this weird secret industry was. Part of that was what preserved the magic in movie magic is because really the secrets were well kept. Nobody really knew how yeah. stuff was done which is also different from now where largely everyone has a sense of how most stuff is done. Uh, it's how well it's done and how creatively that becomes the thing, but the how is open to so many people to learn anything they want to learn. Um, anyway, all of that is kind of the stage setting for why star Wars when it opened was such a major thing for me and the few similar nerd friends that I had, because we had started, started making our own movies. When we were around 12, that's how nerdy we were. We made our own stop motion animated films, designed our own creatures, 
you know, we didn't do a lot of the dating and sports stuff. What was that? that were, were you guys using popular social? Alex, were you guys using like Super Eights back then to do this? I mean, was this like JJ yeah, Abrams literally. type of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah, it is literally JJ Abrams. It's literally like we were the kids in Super Eight. Yeah, his movie. That's awesome. We were that. We were like you know Stranger Things. Those kids. In the first part of the first episode, not all the stuff that happened to him later, but we were those kind of, that kind of crowd. And we, you know, we were a tight knit little group of, of sci-fi nerds. Do you still, and do you so, still work with any of these friends, yeah. Alex? Did any of them kind of get pulled along with you or they all do, do other things in life? They all do other things in life now, although we have stayed in touch a couple of them for sure. And uh, one of them in particular actually ties into a story, which is a kind of funny one, which was, uh, so we, I grew up in San Francisco. And uh, as, as you know, most people know, Star Wars visual effects were all done in Los Angeles. And then right after Star Wars became the success that it was, and it was established that the sequels would be made uh, back in the late, late, you know, 1978, 79, I guess it would be, as everyone knows, George Lucas decided to move his entire operation to Northern California for a number of reasons. One of which was to sort of get away from the LA Hollywood culture and go to a place where he could define his own kind of creative culture and just be in a different space. And he did that obviously and did it very well. So um, uh, he arrived in Marin County, which is just across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. And so we had this knowledge, I'm jumping ahead now after Star Wars came out, um, we had this knowledge that they'd moved up to our area and little by little, we kind of found out that they were across the bay in North, in the North Bay, but nobody knew where talk about well-kept secrets. So I had, as I said, a close circle of friends, very few of which were actually as nerdy as me, but one or two, of which were, and one in particular was my close buddy and he and I were filmmaking partners. We would do makeup experiments on each other with late. I say makeup. I don't mean cosmetics. I mean, full on gore, oh, yeah. alien things with latex <laughs> and foam rubber casting of our faces to do life masks and all of that physical latex stuff. Uh, we threw ourselves into it. Anyway, he was my partner in crime or if you'll forgive the dad joke, a partner in slime, because this was a lot of slimy stuff we would <laughs> use in our craft. And sorry, um, <laughs> it just, it just they come out. The dad jokes just come out. Um, he actually kind of chose his own path and ended up kind of taking a, a unofficial, unparentally sanctioned trip with a bunch of his drawings under his arm down to LA. And he found out uh, where the, art department at, at, at then Industrial Light and Magic number one was located and managed through some connection he'd made to get an interview with Joe Johnston and the art department there. And and when he came back and told us these stories, our jaws were all hanging. <laughs> we just, you did what? That's amazing. So they interviewed him and it wasn't the right time, but they said, hey, we're moving up north at some point in the future. We might call you up. And that's where they left it. But he had done something right because sure enough, they did call him. And he ended up working, hired in Marin County at the Kerner complex there uh, in the industrial area of San Rafael in the San Francisco area. Um, he ended up working there, getting hired as kind of an everything, just like do anything we need, <laughs> build tables, help build sets, act as an assistant cameraman or a lighting. Any, you know, anything lighting to get stuff. in, right? Anything to get into the yeah, production. Literally. 
anything. And he happily took that opportunity. And he's just out of high school, pretty much. We all are. So we're sort of vicariously living through oh, it, but he can't say anything. He can't <laughs> say anything. And I'm not going to name his name, but anyone who knows him will know who I'm talking about. And the reason I'm not going to name his name is because he broke a few rules. He bent a few rules, just a few, <laughs> nothing bad, but he did let us in for some late night tours. Oh boy. And so, uh, you know, that was one of the formative experiences having already been blown away by star Wars in the theaters. Uh, you know, and I'll come back to that experience. This was kind of a extra get to go inside the temple be snuck inside the temple and just see stuff happening behind the scenes. And that was one of the experiences that I think sealed it all. Yeah. I, uh, I was going to say for, after that, Alex, it was probably impossible for you to focus on any other <laughs> career path, right? Like once, once you had that taste, the tease of what yeah. your life could be, it, it was probably like you, yeah. you just were laser focused at that point. Well, you know, it's funny you should say laser focus because you'd think that would be the case. And yet, <laughs> uh, for whatever weird bunch of reasons, uh, I chose, I made some choices and they weren't focused around uh, film. I think maybe one of the things, not to psychoanalyze myself too much, however many decades later, but I think I might have gotten a little daunted, a little scared of how okay. one gets in. And what he experienced was such a fluke. And it wasn't as simple as me just wanting to show my portfolio and ride on his coattails. You know, honestly, there might have been a little competitive thing where I didn't want to go following him. He did his yeah. thing. I'm now going to choose my path. Might have been some of that, but that's kind of what I did. I ended up going a slightly different two-step to the side and found my way in a different way later. Uh, and I basically went and focused on my art, on my 2D art. And I ended up going to art school and graphic studying graphic design and fine art and illustration, still staying in the San Francisco area. And I've developed a whole lot of other skills looking back on it. I'm super glad I did. Um, you know, looking back on it from this vantage point, there's no wrong thing that happened or, gee, I wish this had or should have, would have, could have. I'm lucky enough not to, not to say that at all. But I do credit that experience and his absolute, like, die hard, go get it. I'm not going to let any script of how I'm supposed to live my life as an 18-year-old tell me how to go get this. Because there is no script, first of all. <laughs> Nobody even knows the location of this destination. I'm just going to go find it. And so I'll always say this is tribute to, to, to my friend for his, his initiative and just bravery to go do that. Um, if anything, I took a little more of a traditional route later on by going and studying art and, and working in some other fields, always knowing somehow I would come back to it. But I wasn't going to come back to it. Um, I was going to come back to it through art. And so when I found out about concept art as a thing, storyboard artists and concept paintings and concept illustration, and that whole way of applying art, uh, drawing skills and painting skills and industrial design skills, uh, visual illustration skills to the process of designing for film. When I started to get a picture of that, uh, that's the path I, I decided I would, I would build towards. So I started really filling is, my portfolio, you know. That. We've talked to a few artists at this point in time, right, Nick? And it, it, it really is amazing yeah. how similar yet different all of their journeys are in making it into the entertainment industry. But it, it, there's usually a, a common thread, and that is, you know, excuse my, my language here, but just having the, the balls, if you will, 
to go against the grain and just kind of, you know, get, get yourself out there. You know, where Alex's friend just is, is hunting down Lucasfilm's new offices or ILM. Uh, it, it just, and, and, and it also yeah. sounds like we could be getting to this thing and we've been stressing it here with some of our guests to our younger fans. A lot of the times it, it, it's about who, you know, I mean, obviously you got to put the time in yeah. and, and hone your craft, but specifically, it sounds like an entertainment. A lot of times it's you may run into one or two people that could ultimately change the trajectory um, of your life. So was so was, true. was that the case so for true. you, Alex? Like so after true. art school, did you make contacts yeah. there that helped you then get into ILM or or how did you ultimately end up at oh, ILM? Yeah. Well, it's just a, a great topic you bring up. And I've been talking about it recently in a couple of other conversations and, and it's kind of come back to me now and struck me how much it is just like you say, it's this combination of putting yourself out there and knowing, acknowledging when you, especially when you're young and especially if you're young and confident and you think, ah, I got some talent, I got some skills. That's sort of, that's great. You, as you say, you got to, that's the, it's about the work at the end of the day. You have to have the work and the dedication showing in your portfolio so that when you do hopefully get the chance to show it, it does speak uh, what it, it does, what it needs to do of course. to be useful to the people to hire you. But along the way, until you get to that point, how do you make it happen? And that's a really good question. And putting yourself out there and just accepting the fact that, that bum luck, fates, whatever serendipity, uh, being at the right place at the right time, whatever you want to chalk that up to, whatever your version of that is, that's a huge part of it too. But they're both interrelated. If you ascribe to this fate thing where there's some intersections going to happen at some point where you're going to run into somebody or someone's going to notice you and it might be in the most unexpected kind of circumstance. Well, that is most likely to happen if you've spread yourself out there socially as much as possible and networked as much as possible. And it's very unlikely to happen if you have done none of that or little of yeah. that. So there's, there's like a direct proportional relationship. The advice boils down to this, put yourself out there, be proactive as much as you can, even when it doesn't apparently lead to a specific thing, a job or a thing, just have conversations with people in the industry. Uh, I talk uh, frequently about the importance of mentors as well, of finding somebody who you can form some bond with, who's older than you, who's got some worldly wisdom, ideally in, in the industry or in something related to it. And sometimes that mentor, that coach, that whatever, you know, can become someone who introduces you to someone who knows someone who knows someone. And literally that kind of weird, unpredictable, uh, you know, how many degrees of separation thing, it really happens. And that is how a lot of these opportunities come to be because somebody who knows somebody needs this and, oh, I know a guy or I know a gal and she does this really well. Maybe she could use, you know, yeah. whatever. That is, that is far more of a reliable piece of advice, even though it's super nebulous, um, than anything I could say that had more of a set rigid, it's, it's, you know, you know kind of listening to your, your upbringing, I, I have to ask with, with hindsight, do you feel like today's landscape with all the social media and YouTube and ways to get creatives out in front of larger audiences quicker do you feel like that would have been a, a hindrance to you back then? Or would you have preferred to have grown up now with your creativity and had these more accessible tool sets? 
That's a really good question. You're hitting me with some good ones. Well, um, hey, man, you're, you're really giving like us good question. stories. I'm, I'm kind of dumb. I'm just, I'm just curious. And, and hearing like you're, you know, you're shooting movies on film, and I'm sure that was hard to edit as a kid. And you're doing all this makeup, yeah. and you really had nowhere to share it outside of amongst your own little group. Where these days, young yeah. Alex could have five million followers on YouTube depending on the the it's content true. you're putting out. So I was just curious if you thought if you would have preferred to have tried it now where it's arguably more competitive because of the access to the tools yeah. or if you liked it back then where it was grassroots and who do you know and hey I know Skip and Skip knows Jane and and she can get us this access yeah. or Well, it's it, again it's I'm going to avoid the, the single answer because it's a, it's a little bit of both, but I'm going to say personally that I, nostalgic 2020 hindsight, you know, super gauzy, super rosy. Um, I'm going to say that I would prefer a bit more of the older, the old, the olden okay. times, the older days, because of what you said, the, what, what I did and what we did in the business was special then it was unique. And so if you could overcome the, if you could solve that connection an introductions and exposure kind of opportunity problem, not a small one, but if you could, you knew that what you did do was unique and there were not hundreds and thousands of people all around who did what you do and could, and maybe showed up even more professionally. There were a very small number of people who you had to look up to and in, in following their footsteps, very small number and even smaller number of people who actually did what you did. And you'd meet them at places like Star Trek and sci-fi conventions, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which used to be a thing. Uh, and just go rewatch Galaxy Quest if you have any any questions <laughs> about what that was like uh, and uh, any other number of films or TV shows. But Galaxy Quest is kind of the classic oh, that's version great, of your sci-fi. Great flick, great <laughs> flick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That hits all sorts of good nostalgia nerves for me because I went to a bunch of those. In fact, I'd sell my early drawings and sculptures with my buddy. We'd save up our, our meager newspaper delivery or odd job money. Uh, and, and we'd rent a table in the, in the sales hall of these big conventions. And we'd sell our drawings of monsters and our sculptures and casts That's that we'd great. make from our molds. And we'd, we'd make a little, make our money back and meet lots of fellow sci-fi fanatics. It was, it was really great. But other than those rare opportunities, there was no way to meet it, these people and make True. these connections that was in your in your normal life. Yeah, I mean, so there, there, there was no there was no email, there's no internet. It really no. was just no. so grassroots and really who you know, where you were at, and what you were into back then. It's just that that's why I find people's it's story true. like yourself. They're just they're so amazing. I mean, for lack of a better description, they they are fairy tale esque, if if you know what I mean. I mean. Yeah. Let, let, let's let, let's be imagine. real. Alex is a very talented artist and put the effort in. But I mean, we we haven't heard how he got into ILM. But I'm assuming it was based on doing the work, but also probably meeting someone in his life that um, might have known someone yeah. or was the person that kind of got you in the door at ILM. Is that the case? Indeed, or? it is. It is exa exactly that. And it's, it's even fluke. There's even just the element of the fluke and the happenstance, the coincidence, the weird faded thing that it just makes it even better. Um, so I was, I had the opportunity to get trained up in digital tools about five years before uh, I went to ILM, maybe six. Uh, I was doing, I'd studied graphic design and illustration and I had, um, 
and, and fine art stuff. And I was basically freelancing, doing graphic design logos and, and whatever posters and doing my own illustration for that as well. So typography and I'd studied that and, uh, and, and polished my illustration chops, always still building my sort of film centric portfolio for imaginary projects. Uh, but doing my concept sketches and drawings in ways that looked cinematic, that looked sequential, like storyboards or like shots would be composed. So I always had that in mind and I loaded my portfolio up with that stuff. But I was hired by a multimedia company. Talk about nostalgia. This is in the early 90s. Uh, this was a new form of digital media that was being born in the form of, you know, early desktop computers being used to author new kinds of content. And the corporate world was the first main place where this surfaced for corporate presentations, like early versions of a PowerPoint deck. Oh boy. Animated <laughs> that's, stuff, that's funny. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, this was big stuff in those True. days. You could do 3d animation and 2d animation in, if anyone knows flash, kind of an early version, a precursor to flash. And you then stamp this stuff onto CD ROMs, and that's how you distribute it to your corporate clients. And you pop one of those into the corporate meeting and blow everyone away like, with Whoa. Flippy doing a dance or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, and that was huge, sexy stuff in the corporate world. And let's not forget the corporate world had money to invest in yeah. new technology uh -huh. as they still do. So that was a grand opportunity for me to get hired and paid to do my traditional drawing skills. But learn Photoshop, early Photoshop, and learn early 2D, you know, early versions of Premiere or 3D tools that are no longer even here that have been replaced with newer ones. But I got a paid internship, basically, to learn that stuff at this company. That went on for five years working in that multimedia business. And it's there that I actually learned how to be an art director. I went from being a hands-on artist only to learning how to manage a team of other artists, different disciplines all kind of moving towards the same end result, the same vision, the same style to deliver the product on time. And learning those professional skills was huge. And I say all this long-winded backstory because it leads up to the moment where I, I was working for a place, uh, I was working for some, uh, a company in San Francisco that was called Rocket Science Games. And I'd never been a gamer. I'd never really been that much into games before video games, which of course this is all pre-console, so games were in a very different earlier state as well, PC-based mostly. Um, and these new Macintosh desktop computers Ooh. people could actually <laughs> afford to have in their home right. actually started to have some of these games, mostly for kids, right? They were mostly point-and-click, little Adventure Time stories, and that's the sort of stuff that I had worked on a bunch, as well as the corporate work. So I had this experience, but it was far from film and far from the grand science fiction worlds that I had in my head. Um, but I knew there was a connection and I knew these digital tools were going to serve me well. And so I got this job for a while at uh, uh, kind of a hip new game studio in San Francisco. And I met some folks there. They introduced me to some folks over at an animation studio in San Francisco called Colossal Pictures. And Colossal Pictures was for 10 or 15 years, this creative hotbed along with ILM across the bay. This was in the heart of San Francisco. And they made television commercials and music videos. And during the 80s, all their work was all over MTV and all over every hip commercial with cool, you know, animated graphics and every music video that had some cool animated graphics 
good chance it was made at Colossal Pictures. So they had animators, directors, visual effects artists. They just employed all these creative people. And it was kind of a dream factory in itself. So I tried to get in there. I went for a roundtable interview where I showed my portfolio to a whole room full of folks. Nothing actually came of that. But about three weeks later, getting to the final point of the story here, the magic moment, I'm in an art supply store in Marin, coming out of the store with my arm full of stuff I've just bought. And there's a guy walking in as I'm walking out. And he says, hey, I know you. And I thought, I kind of think I know you. Look familiar, but I can't place it. Well, he was one of the directors at Colossal who'd been in that room. And he said, I really liked your work. I said, thanks so much. That's really nice of you to say. I I said, what are you doing uh, he said to me, and I said, I'm just kind of still looking for work. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing here? And he said, uh, I've actually stopped working at Colossal, and I just started working at ILM. Oh, my and, goodness. Look at that. And so that's great for you, I said. That's super exciting. And we exchanged numbers and said bye-bye. Uh, well, not that much longer after that, I got a call from the ILM art department. He had put my name in um, because they needed art directors, and they – apparently had not been interviewing that many people with art direction experience. Again, people who've made that little jump, not so little being an artist, which they also needed, but to someone who could manage the whole thing. And so they liked that about my resume, even though, and here comes the other lucky break part. I didn't have any bona fide film experience on my resume. I did not go to film school. I went to art school and graphic design, yet they took this risk on me on his recommendation and I guess the power, I guess my portfolio and the way I presented myself. So that's the story I of knew how it. I got there. I knew it'd be something just, just, <laughs> you know, kind of s- circumstantial, right? Going to the art store it's, it's, and crossing paths literally. with the right person. As, as Alex said, that that's the fluky part of the story. It's just, it is amazing. You know, are, are these artists, are they just luckier than the rest of us or, or, or who knows? I mean, there, there's something about living at, living out West in that, that, that time period. It's like everyone kind of, it, it yeah. seems like everyone knew everyone or at least cross paths with the right people. No, that's, that is just too cool. So, you know, a trip to the art store landed Alex, yeah. a, it technically landed Alex a job at ILM. And then really the, uh, the rest is history. So let's kind of get into some of the, yeah. the ILM stuff. Now, your, sure. your, some of your first work there was on the special editions, correct? That is correct. So how so did that, I like, came in and I was, yeah, when you came in, did you know which projects you were being hired to work on or were you just coming to ILN as, as a general art director and you would get assigned projects as they came across? That is, that is exactly it. It's so just, the way the art department worked, sorry, just, I, did you have more? No. You, you no, wanted I, to ask? Nope. Just, just uh, um, like random words were starting to fall out of my mouth. They, they, they weren't important. <laughs> so go ahead. Oh, I can relate. I can relate. That happens to me all day long. Um, no, the way the art department worked then, and I think pretty much still works now is art directors in the art department are also concept artists. Although there are concept artists who are not art directors, that set of base visual skills is part of what you need to sort of either be hired as a visual effects art director or grow into that role. And you're going to be called on, depending on the size of the project or the timing or whatever, to do those things yourself, as well as manage the larger effort and be sort of a more senior level um, creative lead working with the effects supervisor and all the other 
animation soup and the CG soups and all of the rest through the whole production. So this is a central, at ILM, it's a centralized department. And I don't know if other effects uh, houses structured themselves this way back then. I got the feeling that it was kind of unique to have a dedicated art department acting as like a service bureau to the whole rest of the company. Um, we also had a commercials division back in those days. And so we did a lot of very big budget television commercials as well. And we would offer that as in our commercials production department, uh, ILMCP, they called it. It was a full service agency where we provided directors as well as effect suits and design and creative services and sound stages to shoot and all of it. It was a full thing for commercials. And so that was another way that people in the art department would get, you know, fed work. There was plenty of work, not only from film stuff, including bids that we hadn't even gotten awarded yet, just like this studio, we're trying to fight for this job. So we're going to do some gorgeous artwork to try and bring the studio in to, to take, you know, consider us for this project, but also these commercials were always coming in and out. So there was loads of variety. So when I first got there, I didn't know what I was going to work on. And I knew I had to sort of spend a little bit of time just warming up. So I ended up being, um, kind of assigned or paired up with uh, George Hull, who was an effects art director okay. and concept artist at the time. You may have heard of him. He's nothing short of a legend. He's just an amazing concept artist. Um, he just finished working on Dune. He worked on Blade Runner 2049 oh, and the boy. Matrix movies. Just go just look a few, up George few, Hull. Yeah, a few, few small yeah, pictures. Shout out George Hull. H-U-L-L. <laughs> he's, a, he's a god among many, among many others. He's done he a couple was, indie um, films. One of the folks. Yeah. Just a few, <laughs> few small films. So he happened to be there and he just been finished. He just was uh, wrapping up work on Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World, and the Star Wars Special Editions, which were kind of midway through. And... That's what I ended up getting assigned to. Uh, I helped him with a couple of storyboards. I was kind of his assistant and I was shadowing him basically through the day. It's like, what's a daily? What are dailies? Yeah. There's more of them. They're called dailies. We do them ah, every day. Got it. Got it. Okay. And so I'd follow him to dailies and I'd sit in the dark and look at the shots every day and I'd sort of get the rhythms of this place down. Uh, it was very dazzling to, you know, I was starstruck and, uh, I had to check myself all the time, which is requirement number one for showing up at a place like that is you got to check your starstruck. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, Alex, like being such a huge sci-fi geek, even before Star Wars came out and then I'm sure Star Wars just enhanced it. What was that day like when you learned that you're working on Star Wars? I mean, could you contain the fanboyism or did you have to like run outside <laughs> and scream to let the yeah. steam out? Yeah. yeah. Ran outside. I think I ran outside to scream. And, you know, a couple of the trusted folks that I'd are come to know, even in the first day or two, I think I, I, I found a way to express to couple them. A couple high fives, right? Freaking yeah. out inside. <laughs> and they, they being good hosts, welcomed me in and said, they're there. It's okay. I understand because we're all feeling it even still. We just <laughs> learned how to be cool about it. But that's okay. You geek out. You freak out. It's all right. No, they, it, it was it was really a, a, a very cool place to walk into this kind of it's such a trite thing to call it a dream factory. But it really was. <laughs> it was it was just, uh, you know, just, the art department then was this two level open atrium kind of lofted space with an upper level and a lower and hanging from the ceiling and on every spare surface were just little bits of models and miniatures from movies past. 
And because the art department and the model shop kind of shared a history of physical art making with physical stuff, uh, I should explain that this was just when digital was still relatively new, just a few years old in terms of being a major tool of visual effects. Physical stuff, like the model shop and miniatures, were still going strong, and they were right next door to the art department because we shared this sort of kindred kindred spirit of, of making stuff physically. And um, so we would often hang out with the model shop folks the, and, and, the, uh, and the art department. And I, I've just got a – I happen to be looking at my bookshelf, and I came across this book. I'm going to plug this book. It's not new. It's called Sculpting a Galaxy, and it is uh, written and put together by Lauren Peterson, who is another legend among many others in the model shop of those days. Uh, He and uh, Don Bees and uh, Steve Gawley and so many others who I'm not not mentioning now, not remembering, uh, just made that, they're part of the history of the old ILM, old guard ILM model shop going all the way back to, uh, you know, back to the future. and God knows so many other classic films they worked on. Um, this book is pretty darn inspiring uh, as far as just a look through, you know, all of the oh, yeah. models, beautiful handwork that was done. This is the stuff that I got to look at during my midnight secret tour with my buddy. How, how hard? <laughs> I mean, just like that, literally that at that sequence, mid animation oh, with just the snow sitting on the, on the table. So you got to see right that there. all staged. Wow. wow. I could have brushed up against it accidentally and blown it yeah, off. Screwed, <laughs> screwed up the shot. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> screwed up the damn shot. That was risky. Bringing, bringing, bringing a friend back in there. But uh, so I, even even years was, even years later, Alex, when you're working there, is it? Were there some days? Was it just hard to focus with all that that stuff in the building? Like, oh, hey, there's there's the yeah. at ats from yeah. 1980, or you know, there's Jabba's sail yeah. barge, there's Jabba himself. Uh, I, I'd imagine sometimes it was hard to just kind of kind of put the blinders yeah. on and, and get get to it. Yeah, there are times. It's the pinch me, I'm dreaming thing. Um, but the reality is, I mean, there's a period where that happens. And every once in a while you do, as in any situation you're lucky enough to be in, you do have these moments where you kind of are a little outside yourself and you pull back from the immersion in the thing you're doing and you sort of say, oh, my God, look at, where, look at what's going on right here. Right. This, this is a pretty amazing moment. Whatever, wherever you are. Well, that would happen. That's a human thing. And so that would happen from time to time, even afterwards. But I will say that the work itself is so immersive. People take the work very seriously. Everyone who's there is there because of this shared passion for the work. And the work is hard work. And it's, it's, it's intense. It's creatively and mentally uh, draining is kind of too negative, but it is. It is draining. It's tiring. But it's, it, it, you work a lot. <laughs> You're thinking through problem solving. And there's a whole other level, which is cultural. There's like there's you're intermixing with people who you kind of feel walk on water just because they're already there before you. Yeah. And so there's this feeling of imposter syndrome. How the hell did I end up here? Um, How can I possibly pull my weight? Now that I'm here, I've got to show up and be worthy. Oh my God. So there's stage fright, imposter syndrome, insecurities. And, you know, especially with artists, everyone has insecurities. Uh, especially at a new job. But no, I, I, could have, I could imagine, <laughs> I could imagine working with other artists. And like you said, those that you already looked up to it, it had to be very intimidating oh. early on. Like, did, did you ever it, feel really, like some days, like I, I just, I shouldn't even be here. 
Oh, many days. No, seriously. I mean, parents sitting sitting me down with the other art director in the same room as these other art directors who've been there for a long time and looking at the work in their portfolios and seeing how comfortably they spoke to the effect supervisors and directors when we have them come through and how just confidently they conducted themselves, like very blasé. And then just the sheer drawing skills, the confidence of drafting. George Hall would have been, you know, the first example for me. And I just look at his ability to bust out these architectural forms and shifts. Here, I'm going to actually, I happen, happen to just come across these copies of some of George Hall's storyboards. These are, I believe, his drawings. I'm 90% sure. If I'm miscrediting it, then apologies to whoever. But, you know, this is the kind of thing that, you know, yeah, just, just, just lay, laying around the office, right? You know, it's like yeah. going to Literally, a manufacturing plant. <laughs> There's a nice top-down shot of the Falcon oh. coming through uh, Bespin Towers. I don't believe that shot ever actually is in the movie like that, but that was a version of it. And I'll get more to some Bespin stuff later. But, you know, this is the stuff I was looking at. It's like, the basically, look at this ship. <laughs> I'm 90% sure that's the George Hall. Anyway, I mean, the basic subtext that you get every day, the message you get is, do better, dude. Drive yeah. yourself, do better. Draw the best you've ever drawn right now <laughs> and fast, <laughs> fast. Did it ever get like, did it ever get too, too competitive or you, you liked kind of being pushed to, to get better every day you walked in? Uh, well, it's kind of part of the, it's the price you're paying to be there. It's yeah. part of what it takes to be there. And so you don't find yourself. I mean, on a good day, you're not complaining about it. You're trying to rise to the occasion. Uh, you're trying not to beat yourself up for being less than, and you're trying to really apply yourself. And then when you do get some victories, however small or fleeting they may be, you use those to bolster yourself and go on to show up another day and yeah. do it again and do better. And some of that is not only showing your best work and putting yourself out there again, but there's also learning how to step back and wait, listen, sometimes shut up, <laughs> you know, just not say, especially when you're, new and you're working you're under, coming to understand the hierarchy of leadership and authority and how you treat people with respect well it's a really conversational place where people don't tiptoe around everyone's speaking their minds and having these confident conversations about how this might be done or how this might look and so you, it's easy to get seduced by that and they go, oh this is super casual i'll just chime in now with my thought and maybe that's okay, but you also got to have that sixth sense about right. maybe I jumped on that a little too fast. <laughs> anyway, it's that diplomatic stuff, those soft skills that you learn also. Yeah, there we hurry. go. Soft skills. You you young people out there, pay attention. There's a lot of great yeah, advice coming yeah. from Alex here. Soft skills, in my, in my opinion, are, are sometimes even more important than the technical stuff. Uh, Indeed. If, 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 if yes. you can't function with other humans, you could be the greatest artist, programmer, designer, whatever you want. And you're probably not going to make it that far because you, you need other humans in your life uh, to uh, accomplish. Indeed, goals. You need them in your life and, and you <laughs> and you need them to be basically on your side and yeah. want to have you around if, they, if you want them to continue hiring you and totally. keep, keep paying you. <laughs> yeah. Alex, when you were when you were uh, given the you know, the project of working on the special editions, was this, was it widely known already that these were happening? Did like the greater populace know that like, Oh, there's going to be special editions of star Wars made with new visual effects. Or were you like one of the first people to know about this project when it, when it started? 
I'm going to be tapping into some foggy memories here about exactly when the word was uh, released PR wise or when it, or if it leaked, but I can pretty confidently say when I first started there, it was top, top secret. And that was also an example of the black box secret lockdown that you sort of the pack, the code that you, you know, first rule of uh, ILM or working in any of these industries, you don't talk about what we're working on uh, at all anywhere. And so that was a well-kept secret. And that's also a kind of a fun, but sometimes difficult thing is to keep a secret like that, especially to people who you know would so yeah. love to know about it. I, Not I, to do anything bad with it, just to know, right. and you can't tell them. <laughs> I, I can only so imagine. that was a thing. Uh, that so was a thing. Alex, it, it kind of transitioning to your work on Empire Special Edition, we have, we have some of the shots up on the stream now. Were you oh, cool. mostly working on kind of fleshing out and adding depth to the backgrounds on, on Bespin? Was that one of your main tasks for the special That's edition? Right. That's right. Yes. And to be clear, my, my job was the not flashy job. I mean, I was, this is definitely the entry level. Welcome to the art department. Um, we need help getting these shots done in a hurry and anything you can do to jump in is great, but this was not glamorous work. And a lot of the time I was indeed kind of retouching and finessing the work that had already been composed and largely completed by other people. I should also say that matte painting comes into this because that's a lot of what I worked on was matte paintings, digital matte paintings. And well, I love that you, you, sent us, you sent us two shots and, and one I think would probably yeah. been the original where there's a window and it's just white. But then Alex yeah. <laughs> comes in and if you go to the next shot, we get that matte painting of, of Bespin's city structure. That's right. All those cities. So that's basically what a lot of the additions were, was to flesh out and expand the environment of Cloud City, <clears throat> a.k.a. Bespin, that you'd see in the background. And they just wanted to make the original matte paintings, which we all just love and revere, done old, full old school, like really paintings, by luminaries such as Michael Pingrazio and and uh, others, uh, he's, he's one of the, the, one of the many luminaries from the old, Paul Houston, a bunch of others. Of course, I'm forgetting a lot of them, but um, who did the honest to God matte paintings for the original originals. Now digital matte paintings were starting to become commonplace. And as all the digital effects and the special editions, true for all of them, this was all an experiment. This was a test run that George was basically leading in order to pave the way yes. for his vision yep. of the prequels. And ultimately, it helped pave the way for digital effects, tentpole movies as we know them. Um, so it was a lot of uh, using digital matte painting techniques, which essentially comes down to Photoshop, a mixture of using 3D modeling tools for your base forms, and then Photoshop to add details, lighting, and actually finish the whole well, thing you up. Actually, again, well, I had Photoshop you, I'm sorry, yeah. Alex. You actually gave us a, a no. fantastic kind of uh, editor, iterative take on i'm guessing using these digital tools to create a a matte painting it's uh it looks like you're That's just right. kind of fleshing out the outside of bespin and, and you have your basic models and then it looks like on the next right. slide you added some texture and then final you added all the the shadowing and, and even more textures to get that final exactly. shot and that was all, all like, you, like you're those saying details. that that was brand new back then doing the digital yeah. mats. So like you're you're one of the the first to kind of get in and, and, and create backgrounds yeah. in this style. 
It was kind of mind blowing. I was already still, I mean, I'd been using Photoshop for years as it was as an illustration tool, but the whole idea blew my mind. I remember now, I can remember the feeling that, wait a minute, these pixels I'm pushing around and this line I just drew and this highlight I just painted is literally going to go on to the movie and it's going to be on a big screen. <laughs> what is that going to even look like? And it's, it sounds like that's just excitement, but it was exciting, but it was also fear. It's like the pressure to make sure that it looked right was huge. And then learning what does look right and what looks wrong, not just on my screen, my monitor, but how that translates. And when we see it in dailies, I'm looking at it going, oh my God, that's the thing I just painted yesterday. That little tiny building way off in the corner. And the line I drew looks totally black. I thought it was just going to be gray or it looks totally wrong. And that tells me, oh, I've got to correct it for, for a film now. It's not just for what it looks like on my monitor. There's a whole learning curve there about the technical adjustments you have to make for your art to actually serve the function that they need to and blend in properly. Kind of mind-boggling stuff to be learning all at once. Yeah, we, we now have your, it's, it looks like it, it's a widescreen, I'm guessing concept art. I don't know if you did it digitally or painting of cloud city skyline oh yeah matte painting so uh, and that looks like you, is that this one you're looking at uh, like no that? it's the uh like the fully colorized orange hue it looks more the, like the a moons in the background. oh yeah the orange okay so that that's the um that was a fun shot to work on that was that was the whole millennium nice. falcon landing on the platform uh shot i believe it comes zooming yep. through yep. the buildings and it lands right here so I think you might have a version of this. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, we do. It's, it's, like a, it's a great shot. It's like a, yeah. it's like a stage shot. You see the Falcon coming in then underneath it, you've got the, the widescreen version right. of the city itself. That's right. So as you can see there uh, and here, it's like what I was given was were simple computer models, computer generated models and this whole composition done by someone in on, on whatever digital environment uh, that they were building, but they were super simple shapes, literally like styrofoam cup kind of yeah. complexity. <laughs> yeah. And my job was to add all the windows and the seams and the little construction details that make it look like a building and make it look big. Um, and then all the dirt and streaks that make it look like it's sort of cement or metal that's been out in the elements for years and years. Those are the touches that make things look real. And in fact, in the first Star Wars, that's what was the signature look of, of the Star Wars world was that hardware was used and hardware was aged and leaking oil and pockmarked and scarred and just industrial wear and tear, basically right. elemental wear and tear. That was a signature part of the whole look of the Star Wars world and has continued to be, but that was not the norm for sci-fi back in the day that was more shiny and new and perfect and gleaming, you know, there's there's Star Trek sci-fi and then Star Wars sci-fi completely different visual looks. That's it. Well, I do, I do like Star Trek. I didn't, I wasn't taking a jab at the track. (laughs) Star Trek's great. (laughs) While you were working on, on all this stuff, Alex, did you know, like in the back of your head that you were basically building processes that would be used for the next, you know, two, three, four decades to, to bring films to life in a completely different way? Yes and no. I knew I was part of something that was super exciting. We knew that this was innovation, stuff that had never been done before. It was dazzling to watch and yet really hard to do and make look right. So, I mean, yeah, there was some awareness of that. And we knew at some point that this was all lining up 
for something bigger that George had planned. But he was keeping his big plans for the prequels pretty well secret from us, too. That Rumors to that effect didn't start up even inside till sometime later. Uh, it's one of those weird things where to look back on something and say, did you know or ask myself, did I know then what it would become? I got to be honest, probably not, because you're so focused, as we all are, in the here and the now. Right. You, fo- you, you crystal ball and make big sort of and, and declarations like that about the future with kind of fuzzy, very fuzzy. It's always very vague. I can imagine that the thing I'm working on now could open up the entire you know future in this area and 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 then again, it might not. You just you, you don't you don't know, and so you don't. You're so focused on just getting it done on time, yeah, and and meeting your deadline, your production deadline, uh, at, at the day, and then kind of celebrating when the release comes out and resting for a bit uh, before you start it all up again. That's kind of where you're focused, and seeing your historical importance on the grand timeline is something we don't tend to spend a lot of time, certainly then didn't spend a lot of time thinking of. I think we just all wanted it to get better. We knew that it was kind of dazzling in some ways. And yet even the critical, our visual critical eyes knew that it was a young medium and the CG looked a little I was going to ask Alex over time. Do you now feel like the special edition edits did indeed improve upon the original trilogy or like you said, do you feel like it almost kind of locked them Mm. into that era of early CG now where, you know, we all love them, but if you look at it, you're like, yeah, that's definitely nineties era um, VFX. Oh, (laughs) I've been, I've been reckoning a lot with this very thing on (laughs) on corridor and a couple of the other conversations I've been having lately, looking back, you know, the whole exercise of looking back, two decades or whatever and, and, and or multiple decades and assessing something, as you say, that was sort of culturally near and dear that we're all sentimentally have some fondness right. for and even aesthetically still enjoy. But technically, visually, the state of the art has advanced so much and so fast that how can we, it's very difficult to look back clear eyed right. or look back and forgive it all. It's just our brain won't let us completely. Uh, some people have an easier time of it than others. My brain is professionally trained to be oh, critical. Sure. You're very critical. Yeah. And pick it apart. <laughs> it's kind of like, like, look, look, that, that, that shades director. off, that shading's off 20, oh, yeah. 30 years oh, yeah. later. It's, it's still off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And sometimes it's worse. So I, I look back on the special edition stuff to answer your question. And I think some of it really holds up well. And I have to say the matte paintings and the environments really are some of the most right. amazing stuff. It right. is pretty timeless. I think it's, and, and that's because the techniques used were this smooth evolution from the art form that came before. Matte paintings and, and miniatures kind of yeah, it's fed true. into the digital tools. They fed into the digital version of those things really well. Characters and creatures are harder. And they're harder to get right. So if you take Yoda as an example, um, now we've got a digital Yoda that's completely successful, although there are plenty that would argue. Reasonable people, reasonable fans can debate. <laughs> Uh, whether they prefer the the practical Yoda uh, of Frank Oz and the you know model shop uh, time or the digital Yoda of now, but there's pros and cons to each. Um, you know, obviously some of the creature and character work of the time doesn't hold up as well now, but you know I can honestly say it was early early days, and so I look back with a certain pride just knowing 
what we were accomplishing when yeah, we it's, were you're a pioneer. And, I mean, it, they are like you said, yeah. let's, let's be real. I know George said he, he felt like he needed some of those edits. I, I think it's more of what you said. It was practice. Yeah. It was kind of yeah. laying, yeah. laying the groundwork for what he wanted to do with the prequels and really go full digital, digital sets, digital yeah. actors, digital characters. Um, That's right. And I got to say, even though he at times later after the prequels were out, was strong on it, was really intent on messaging the digital aspect. What I loved about the prequels from an effects point of view is that they still used a lot of miniatures, as I'm sure you guys yeah. do know. Mm-hmm. Um, they relied on a lot of old school techniques. And I'm, as I like to say, I'm a sentimental fool for the marriage of both of those. I love the marriage of the state of the art and digital and the state of the art, as it were, old school in miniatures. Because to me, they both accomplish parts of the whole really well and to put them together perfectly uh is is the best version and so to me that's kind of where we're at these great example that setup's kind of where we're at these days you know star wars has almost gone back to using futuristic digital but also relying on the practical all right we're we're coming up on our hour so i I don't want to keep it too late but i I do (laughs) want to move into move into your work on clones real quick and then i have one question on mando before we let you go so alex for clones did they specifically bring you in to help with camino and the the clone parade or circus or whatever you called it where i have your shots up now i i love the different takes you have on them it's for those that are listening to the podcast version uh, the scenes i believe alex worked on or or enhanced were when kenobi's at camino touring the facility with ton wee and and the other guy and it looks like there there was various different takes on the scene where kenobi's watching the clones put their armor on for the first time so that's the the concept art we're looking at and you know there's one where it's just a carousel of helmets there's i love this one it looks like you had the idea of them going down in pods and getting outfitted with the armor that's pretty cool exactly so that's a, that's a great example of what the art department and concept artists do it's not just painting pretty pictures but like you know, fancy pants term we all use is ideation or iteration. Yeah, They're basically yeah. trying lots of different ideas out. It could work this way. It could work that way. It's not just about how something looks also. It's about how it works because that's going to affect choreography. If this clone trooper is going to come up and then stand on a platform and then ride down like an elevator as opposed to taking the helmet, putting it on and walking away or disappearing down some escalator or whatever, those all have impacts on animation and 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 actors etc depending on what we designed to answer your question though this whole sequence was the art department being brought in to sort of help out with a 911 because almost all of the um okay initial visual design work for the prequels was handled out at the ranch by the art department that george assembled out there full of awesome amazing artists including but not limited to Ryan Church and, of course, Doug Chang, uh, most uh, notably and famously, but loads of others as well doing storyboards uh, and concept art, costume design, uh, Ian McKaig. Uh, some, and, and some of those people were borrowed from our San Rafael art department to go work on various aspects. And then we had our effects art director uh, dedicated, as, as we did on any big movie that would come through ILM, there was a dedicated visual effects art director on that film. So ours for, I think all three of the uh, prequels was Alex Yeager, a longtime veteran at ILM and of the art department. He's awesome. 
J-A-E-G-E-R. Alex, look him up. Awesome work. He's still with ILM, by the way. Uh, still doing awesome work. Um, so Alex was sort of the, in our art department, art director, and it was as we got into shot production and asset creation, I was working on another movie, whatever it was at the time, but I'd see it happening all around me. So there was always this vicarious feeling that you could kind of keep up with some of the stuff that was going on. And we would also get to see some of their shot dailies where they'd finish a sequence and we'd either sneak in, just like the old days, sneaking into movie theaters, <laughs> or we'd be invited in to just sit in the back row while this other movie team looked at their dailies. Right. And we get to see a little of what they're working on. Well, it was in that context that uh, they came to us, the ranch came to us with kind of a 911 to get some visual design work for the sequence fleshed out. And they had basically just broadly done some animatics, super simple set design and sketches, but they hadn't, for whatever reason, they weren't happy. George wasn't happy. It needed more work. And that's why we got thrown onto this Camino sequence. So several of us, including uh, myself, Peter Rubin, uh, Michael Brunsfeld, a couple of other folks. Those are the two that I worked most closely with. And of course, not to mention some of our 3D previs artists in the art department also. Uh, Larry Chandler, Lewis Katz, um, uh, Daniel uh, Slavin, among others. Um, all of them were contributing as well. And we basically fleshed out this sequence. And what you're seeing the concept art of is just some of those micro things. You know, as as always, these are shots that go by in a flash. These are sequences that come and go, but they constitute a whole project for us, a right. mini project for X number of weeks. We're focused on really diving into this. Um, and they built a miniature set of that whole clone arena. I may have a photo or two up of the set. I can't remember if I shared those with you or not, but they, they did a wonderful, speaking of the hybrid, you know, old school, new school approach. That whole clone arena was done as a miniature. And then, of oh course, boy. all the ships flying around and all the, um, you know, they built that miniature. Beautiful for what? I, I got to ask, did, did they cost. make all the little clones, too, or, or just the <laughs> just the or the structure? Just the structure. And then all the clones and all the all the human figures or clone figures are all digital. Um, so and, and that's that's only true for those that wide shot that you see there. Um, and then there's that sort of giant anonymous ship that's floating up at the top of the dome. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, the sort of mothership thing. Nobody ever explained what that was for. Nobody ever told me exactly what it was for. I don't remember if it was from a sketch that I saw from the ranch or whether I invented it myself, but I think I was throwing in just different things to add epic awe and visual interest to this shot. And nothing says, you know, how can I make this environment look even bigger? It's like an arena. But how can I make it look like the biggest arena you've ever seen? Well, I'll put a blimp in the middle of it. Yeah. It's got to be a you big actually, arena to have a blimp. You, you actually scale. call it you actually call it the mothership in your in your drawings. There you go. I think I might have named that sentimentally off of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was a favorite film of mine. Because I don't know if you remember, but the mothership at the end of that, which is called the mothership. Oh yeah. Um and they've, you've got all the little aliens you can see in the windows looking down on you from, from the mothership in Close Encounters at the end. So that was my little tip of the hat inside Easter egg uh, tribute to a Close Encounters. Beautiful. 
But it's, uh, uh, you, yeah. you did include yeah, a shot where you can fun. see the the true scale of the arena, though. At the very end, I have it up now. But but like you said, cool. by adding in the mothership, adding in those uh, drone ships, I think is what you called them, where the Kaminoans or the Kaminoans would go in and they're in their pods checking on the the clones growing. Right. But it really does give it that that arena a sense of scale that I don't even think you get in the movie itself. At least um, looking from this shot right here. So that, that's great insight. Um, you know, it's interesting when you're working as an illustrator or designer and on something that has already been really established uh, really solidly, the whole world, you know, you have Doug Chang as sort of senior production designer in the effects aspect overseeing this. And he's carrying on the legacy of Ralph McQuarrie and Joe Johnston and all of the, you know, amazing designers that worked on, on, uh, on Star Wars original world, uh, designing that whole look, just the style. And then Doug Chang is, is, and the team are interpreting that and updating it in some ways. Then, you know, someone like me or my art department team get brought in as stringers to quickly jump in like firefighters and just kind of pinch hit for a few, a few, a few specific things. We've got to mimic their style. We've got to understand it. Luckily we've been looking at it and appreciating it for years, but suddenly we've got to like, really kind of obey those rules it, it was super exciting to try to like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna do my best doug chang now i'm gonna you know as i'm designing these curvy shapes um is, is that hard as an artist trying to copy someone else's style is that difficult for an artist like a direct Again, copy very difficult yeah well there's literally copying something and then there's copying the style and like, you like know, em- emulating their term. style i guess right? emulating it yeah, we as designers, you know, we use pretentious terms like design language. <laughs> as, are you, I'm imitating. I'm 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 speaking the same design. Yeah, language, I love right? it. I love um, it. Yes, we love we love stuff like that. We love high highfalutin sounding stuff like that. <laughs> so, but it's true. It is. It actually is accurate because it's not copying the thing. I'm designing a new thing. Got this ya. weird helmet dispensing machine. <laughs> you know, whatever, and, and this weird conveyor belt thing to kind of get the clones suited and then out onto the field efficiently, but cinematically, I've got to kind of do it in the Star Wars house style. And it's is hard for some to do that. Sometimes it's a willingness thing. Like some artists are very proud of their own style. Right. And they say, I don't want to work in anyone else's style. I've got my own. But part of being in this business is so it's so much about collaboration and so much about giving yourself over, getting your own pride out of the way and giving yourself over to the look of the movie, That's the desires point. of the director. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about the director's story. And when you're working for a production designer, designing the look in the world, it's about their vision for the world that you have to come in and right. bring to life. It's not about your ego at that moment. And that's another big lesson of working in a place like that. Again, for anyone who's, you know, hoping or aiming for the experience of, of getting to there early in career and want to work in a place like this, super important piece of advice is, you know, how to manage your own ego again and how to know when to check it and to be absolutely happy to just be in the working and drawing in the service of someone else's vision. That's not only okay, it's part of the journey. It's totally. part of your job, you know? Did you... I know we got to let you go here uh, soon, but did you witness cool. or did you I'm, yourself ever push back against George on certain, certain wants that he had for the special editions or attack of the clones? No, I can say that I didn't. And the way that I would have pushed back and that would be 
far too strong a word, would be through drawings and some back and forth. But no, at that stage, my relationship with him was not a conversation. It was a one-way communication, (laughs) pretty much. Yes, yes, sir, you got it. it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and and in this case, it wasn't us sitting around a table looking at okay. things. On um, many other movies, I had the opportunity to do that either live, literally over a physical table with the director at various times, looking at okay. art, having that kind of conversation, or via our version of video chat in those days, video conferencing. We would do that quite a bit. Uh, and then even so, you're being very diplomatic. You're pushing back in the most diplomatic right, way. Right. And often you're helped by the effects supervisor, who is sort of the top of the ILM or visual effects hierarchy, is the effect soup, is sort of at the top of that pyramid, and they are the key point of contact for the studio and the director. And a lot of the communication does get funneled. As an art director in the effects side, I would often talk to the production designers and art directors on the production side, the people who designed and built the sets, physical sets. I would often talk to them artist to artist sort of environment, world designer to world designer. But the director, you treat with respect. Did you ever so. get to experience any of his famous uh, stamp sessions that we've seen on the behind the scenes where he'd come into a, it looked like a, a concept art room and he would, I think he had stamp, like a, stamp, a special, stamp. yeah, a special stamp for the ones like it, like it, like it, like mm-hmm. it. And then, all right, I'm out of here. Did you ever get to sure. witness that? Uh, is that yeah, how, just, like, like what, what's the pressure like when he's in there doing that? Cause I'm sure everyone's like, Ooh, pick me, pick me, pick me. Or is it, everyone's pretty it's, much it's happy. Pressure. It's hot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> and if you're not actually even in the room, you'll see the results of it very shortly thereafter. Cause the art will come out and you're looking through the stack or looking on the wall <laughs> and like, ah, okay. I know the answer. All right. No, no stamp on my, on my portfolio today. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it honestly is often a shopping. We're providing the director with a shopping excursion yeah. to this beautiful boutique of gorgeous artwork that has been custom made. Like you see in some, you know, a uh, high end fashion shop where the wealthy patron goes in and basically they've been laid out <laughs> a dozen amazing outfits and they can go, oh, no, no, no. Yes. Yes. Combine that with that. And I'm being very, caricatured here but it kind of feels that way i sometimes. think it, it, i think um, that works that's all i love that that uh explanation of what it what it's like all Alex, right so let, let one, go ahead nick well i have one quick question one off topic one off star wars question for you before okay. we let you go i don't know if you track the internet or if you track yeah. you know what young people are are into now but all of a sudden yeah. within the past four or five months there has been a massive resurgence of love for the mummy 1999, which you worked on. Is it I, special I feel, to I've see been aware something? Of this a little so, bit. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Is it special yeah. to see that 22 years later, a movie that was loved back then has just like taken over pop culture and like the, the minds of the youth all of a sudden for seemingly no reason other than Brendan Fraser. That's a very good reason. Uh, reason <laughs> enough. Yes. The answer is yes. And it's really, um, I don't know. Uh, gratifying is the best word uh, for me to see it happen because uh, I genuinely did enjoy working on that movie. Um, I've talked about it a whole bunch. Uh, happy to keep talking about it to an extent, but I mean, I had a great time working on it. It was we've talked a lot, and I've talked before about all the different ways that the art department at ILM or a concept artist or an art director can have an impact on a movie. Sometimes it's just a little bit. Sometimes it's just a tiny little piece of a thing that you contributed. 
that goes by in a second. Sometimes it's a medium size, a few shots, and you're proud of those because they had their impact on that scene. And other times it's stuff for a whole movie. And in that case with The Mummy, that director came to us really open and eager for our collaboration to help him visually design all the, all the effects in the movie. It's not like he came to us pre-designed as was often the case, plenty of other situations. So I got the chance along with all the talented folks in the art department to just do this group brainstorm with him and to be involved at the very beginning of that creative process. And Summers, Stephen Summers, the director of the Mummy movies, so enthusiastic, contagiously, boyishly enthusiastic. He's the sci-fi nerd who never, you know, Peter Pan syndrome, right? He never yeah. grew up. <laughs> and we'd all get that way. Get in a room with a bunch of geeks uh, and or get on a call. And those sessions were super fun. So I, I kind of continued then as the art director and key visual designer on the effects part of that movie. And it just kind of grew from there to the point where I became known around ILM. My nickname was The Mummy Guy. I was teased about that in a friendly way. Because I'd be like, okay, I love that, but I'm now doing other things, folks. I'm not just, oh, no, you're the mummy guy. Yeah, you're the mummy guy. Deal Um, with it. So, yeah, it feels great. I love the fact that it's getting some, some, uh, a new round of love. Awesome. It should. It's it's a great franchise. I I love the mummy, mummy too. I'm not, not so sold on the Scorpion King, but I do love my man Dwayne. So I'm not going (laughs) to, not going to pick on him, you know? No, no, don't, don't knock Dwayne. That was one of his first. That's before he got into his hardcore exercise routine. You know, he still had a little of that WWE uh, chub to him, but Hey, look at him now. Look at him now. (laughs) I'm going to let you say that. Good. Glad you said that. It's all right. I don't. I don't know if he uh, is going to watch the Star Wars time show this week in between filming whatever fifty movies he's doing this year. But you never you know. Never know. You never, you never know. know. You never know. Well, well, Alex, <laughs> oh. um, I don't want to keep you too long, so I, I do appreciate the time. You're just fantastic guests, great stories, and and I hope those artists that that do tune into this show because we actually do have a fair amount that come from Instagram, the, the toy photography wing of artistry, but also as we say, childishly, the real ass painters, uh, because I think yeah. Alex had a lot yeah. of good anecdotes and tips on how to become successful or how to kind of maintain and stay on course, even though things may not be going your way. You never know. You may That's be in an art store one day and walk past someone working at an ILM or, or Disney or the, who knows. Um, but Stranger I, I, things have happened. I just, yeah. I, I really appreciate the time and, and the stories you told. I know there's probably another couple hours we could talk, but uh, we are going to let you go so you can kind of get back to uh, your life and not let the Star Wars time right. show eat up your, your entire Tuesday oh. here. Hey, it has been so fun to go down this, <clears throat> this wonderful rabbit hole memory lane with you guys. I've had a blast. Happy to come back anytime you want to have me back. So it's fun to, fun to talk about all this. Stuff. Yeah. You I know, like we, it, so. we, we may uh, have to take you up on that and kind of get some of your thoughts on uh, where star Wars has kind of gone from when you, you last worked on it, you know, uh, the, the, the sequel trilogy yeah. with well, Disney's doing here. Uh, I think you'd have some you great in, the Mandalorian question. You, you uh, did. Uh, the Mandalorian you know what? Question. If, if, if you're all right for another you five minutes it. or so, I'm fine. I don't want to eat your schedule up, but Which, I'm fine for another. Maybe spot. let's let, let's let's save it as a tease. How's that? We'll we'll we'll, we'll work on getting Alex back on and and, and spending more time just right. kind of talking about uh, Star Wars, where where it's gone, and some of the technology they're using these days to create it. 
so for now we we will okay. say we will say goodbye make sure to check him out on instagram at alexander laurent he also has a, it looks like you got a youtube channel on there and uh, i'm guessing your own your own studio studio lxl um that's right that's just my website that's okay. right uh, alexlaurent.net but yeah. we we have a, a fairly thanks so much big big Instagram audience so check him out give him a follow you can see right. some of his other work some of the the surrealism stuff he was talking about early on that he got from his mother because it is it is pretty wild looking like this thing with two legs and horns and a beat coming out of its ear I love it I love this type <laughs> of stuff I like the way you think Alex so <laughs> thank you thanks. thanks for having me on again I really had a good time thanks again thanks all right Alex. we'll talk thank to you it easy guys see bye. ya bye bye. All right, Nick, let's switch us back over to the, the two screens here. There we go. There we go. Oop, I got, I got some that. random technology displayed on the screen right now, but we'll figure it out. Are we like tripled into infinity? No, it's just showing like an application <laughs> I use to shrink images instead of the mm. browser. But hey, I got it fixed because I am a technical genius. There you go. So yeah, that that was pretty cool, man. What a what a what a guy. What a, very uh very generous with his stories and knowledge and uh, advice for those of you real ass painters out there. I, I really do think he had a lot of good things to say, uh, at least to keep people motivated. I, I love Nick learning that yes, these artistic types do have a very high end type of 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 their own language. You know, I was going to ask him so. You guys are talking about design language. Have you ever referred to yeah. each other as real ass painters? Is that something yeah. that comes up <laughs> at, that, at ILM? Bounce around the office. <laughs> um, it was. Uh, it was an incredible conversation as a former aspiring creative who has now kind of fallen out of that <laughs> out of that hobby slash profession. It was it was really incredible to hear his story and how he got there and everything. And I, and I will say that like you know one of the questions that we asked him. Uh, earlier was, you know, would you rather have worked back then or now? And having tried to get into the industry now is very intimidating, um, especially for a person who already has relatively low self-esteem. <laughs> like if you, if you, you know, you, you make something you and you think it's incredible, but then all it takes is a two minute, you know, uh, trip down a YouTube rabbit hole and you realize like, holy shit, like I'm not even uh, close. And you know, obviously, uh, things didn't pan out for me, but I'm glad that things panned out for Alex and everything worked out uh, in his favor throughout his career. Because if it didn't, then hell, we may not have gotten some of the uh, some of our favorite movies. And it was, yeah, it was it was truly awesome that to have that conversation with him. It was nice. No, he's a good guy, good guy. I mean, definitely great at great at telling some stories and uh, has has lived some experiences that I that I think our fans would uh, appreciate or hope to uh, live themselves. So awesome. Good job there, Spencer. He was a good, good, good dude. Good dude. Uh, before we get into our, our topics here, you know, we, I want to keep it to our, our two and a half hour or less time frame. That's been kind of nice these days. It keeps Nick happy. It keeps the wife happy and it keeps <laughs> my head from hurting. Cause if you see on, on, look what happens to my head when I wear a hat, it like, it starts to bruise my forehead oh. Cause I have like, the, Mine too. I have the skin of like a, a fragile peach or something at the store. You can't, you can't touch it too much or put too much pressure or it starts to go black and blue. 
Um, but yeah, that, that was awesome. So if, if you missed that for the first hour 15 of the show, we talked with uh, Mr. Alex Laurent, who is a visual effects art director, uh, worked for ILM on the Star Wars Special Editions and Attack of the Clones, which was the kind of the last blurb we just had where, you know, he was essentially hired to do spot duty to, to really all hands on deck to help out the. Uh, the the Lucasfilm artist that might have uh, needed some additional hands on that Camino scene. Uh, but good stuff there, so make sure to check that out either on the audio only or after this live stream ends, you should be able to view it in full. All right, my friend, before we get into the topics, I've got some good news, at least for us and our expenses <laughs> around town. And that's the fact that thanks to our great fans... We have been renewed with Manscaped for another um, another deal, so we we appreciate that. Yeah, we appreciate that. There we go. And, and that doesn't mean that your job's over, people. Right. That means that Keep in coming. fact you have more work to do. <laughs> you have more. Spend go that get money. Some more body wash. Get get those get replacements. Body like we've been yeah. saying, you know, you, you need the PP 4.0, the Performance Package 4.0, but you also need those things that aren't sustainable like ball wipes and creams and razor blades, you know, get on, get on the star Wars time show hook. So before we move on, Nick, I do have some uh, words from our sponsor. Okay. So support for the star Wars time show is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. That's right. The leaders in male grooming, their fourth generation performance package absolutely changed the grooming game along with their refined body wash. See, finally, we're finally promoting the body wash to round out your hygiene routine. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped for their shower time routine by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code SWTS. That's right. SWTS for Star Wars Time Show. All right. So, you know, uh, last week I, I discussed how right before the show, I had a grooming session with the lawnmower 4.0 and it went off without a hitch. I didn't lose any testicles. No scrotums were scratched. And it actually worked out because after I calmed down from my little rant last week on the crash truck episode, uh, if any of you missed that, I, I kind of had a moment when the cast started and I was going to cancel a trip out to the coast. But after the show and some Star Wars time therapy, in addition to using the lawnmower 4.0 to trim up my nether regions, I was like, you know what? I can't leave these nicely shaven balls to the <laughs> boring Ohio weather. I'm taking them to the beach, putting them in a swimsuit. So thank you, Manscaped, for that. But in addition to using the lawnmower 4.0, Nick and I both wash our bodies with Manscaped's refined body wash. I'm telling you, fellas, the ladies will love this signature scent. Um, you and your boys will be oh so fresh and so clean when you start off your self-care routine with the ultimate body wash. All right, so... You can get stuff like this, the Performance Package 4.0, the Lawnmower 4.0, the Weed Whacker, or just get them all in that Performance Package over on Manscaped.com, all right? Because we're huge fans of it, and so should you. In particular, the Body Wash, the Ball Deodorant, and the Ball Toner, which yep. is the, um, the, the little spray, let's say, you know, I was at the beach, did a little swimming, and I'd come into the hotel, you know, 
watch watch some football, I'd grab some of that spray and just, just give myself a little spritz down there just to revitalize the wonderful smell that Manscaped products can provide. All right, so don't forget, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code SWTS at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code SWTS at Manscaped.com. Keep your balls trimmed, fresh, and clean with Manscaped. All right. I need to put in another, another order now that we're, you know, back on the hook here buddy <laughs> we're back in yeah that's right i'm just I gonna just leave my underwear in feel good there we I, go. I, i'm gonna grab a few more of those too because they they definitely do keep things aerated down there all right yes. my friend we'll, we'll keep things moving here so we don't take too long today but real quick before i get into our exclusive that was just a complete fucking dud because we're we're like some form of cancer to the Star Wars leak scene, like we're for just, Reddit, it's, it seems like yeah. we're persona non grata. Yeah, we, we, People just don't like us on Reddit. They don't let us post stuff on Reddit. I don't it, get it. And apparently, that's the only place where you can get uh, picked up now in Star Wars Land is on the Reddit. It's so. odd. It's odd because Nick, today I I looked. I was telling you offline, and you know, I'm again, I'm not attacking Bespin Bulletin, although I did send them our exclusive and no comment, not even like, hey, thanks. It's like whatever, man. I get it. People <laughs> send it to Star Wars Theory, send it to Star Wars News Network. Not even a fucking like emoji or just go fuck your. <laughs> I, I would have preferred a hey, quit fucking dming us block i would have preferred that versus being ignored but whatever because apparently interesting shit and stuff that makes it to the front page of leaks with comments is stuff like today from bestman bulletin the mandalorian has started filming (laughs) started filming for real what like that's one of the lead fucking posts on star wars leaks on reddit it's not even a fucking leak I mean, the the actors no. have announced it. Latif on Instagram, the stuntman, has basically showed himself walking into the studio every day to get ready to film. So I don't know. I guess I'm just confused as to what is a leak and what makes it to Star Wars Reddit leaks. Because anymore, Nick, it seems like only something has started filming or wrapped filming it makes you know makes the cut there but whatever i digress i knew it was going to happen and i still contend we got a fucking bitch and exclusive for kenobi but before we get to that because i'm sure none of our fans took the time to read the post because it would require reading and i guess i don't blame them but real quick lego terrifying tales dropped last friday uh, my kid fired it up on her own it's definitely pays homage to lego star wars properties before it it even kind of includes some characters from recent lego properties so you you definitely want to uh check that out but but the point i want to make here nick and i'm sure you didn't tune into it and that's that's quite all right you don't have little ones around and that, that know how to use a remote these days um, I, I do not. <laughs> but I will I will recommend to anyone that might have just been like, yeah, whatever, I'll watch it if the kids want to watch it. Or if you're just like, eh, I'm 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 Star Wars culture. I'm not gonna watch a Lego animated thing. The very last short to me is is Star Wars What If. And it deals with Luke and what would what would have happened if he actually joined the Empire versus getting picked up by Kenobi. And I, I thought it was rather, you know, they added in the cheekiness, so it was a little more slapdicky than what we've seen in Marvel's What If. But I still completely enjoyed the concept of seeing. <laughs> there's a, 
uh, it's just great. What, what hit what Luke and Darth Vader get into like on the Death Star? It's just it's fucking perfect Lego Star Wars humor. Let's just say they reenact one of the moments that Luke and Leia share in in Star Wars on oh. the Death Star. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just fantastic having it between father and son. So uh, if you've been put off by the the idea of Lego terrifying tales. I, I do recommend at least checking out the last short because to me it's it's probably what we're only ever going to get from a what if standpoint in Star Wars. So if you've been liking that in Marvel, it is a, a kind of a fun way to see how that would play out in Star Wars, albeit through the Lego lens. All right. So let's get on to that exclusive, Nick, which, you know, I don't I don't think anyone that listens regularly has to guess where it came from. So I can tell you this is it's as legit as it fucking gets. All right. You know, without naming names or anything, my connections in the in the stunt business have their own connections. And let's just say one of them worked on the Kenobi production and in passing stories were exchanged. Uh, sadly, it truly was just kind of an in-passing conversation as uh, my contact could not get, uh, could not answer some of the questions I had as follow-ups to what he was telling me. Now, I would caution anyone that considers leaks of this nature that, that could uh, be a spoiler to ruin your time watching Kenobi. You may want to tune out for a few minutes. Uh, I, I I promise you this this stuff is legit. This is no poo flinging here. Okay, um, <laughs> you never know. Some uh, specifics could get cut, but in terms of what I was fed, it, it's very general. And it, it to me, I think it, it 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 answers a lot of questions we've had about, in particular, the rematch that Disney themselves, Lucasfilm themselves, has teased for Kenobi since its official introduction last December. Right, Nick? It's always been, it's never been a secret that Vader and Kenobi would tussle again in this show, correct? Yeah. Okay. At least, like, we never thought it was going to be a secret. We always thought that this this was going to end up I actually, I I did some research, because unlike most assholes on this planet these days, when I hear something regardless of the source i'm still gonna dive in a little bit and i actually looked i actually looked like rematch or or vader kenobi fight in kenobi and there's tons of shit from last year like so this has been put out there they i mean i believe kathleen kennedy the, the rematch of the century that type so great that's not our exclusive all right so the 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 title here vader and kenobi rematch details for the obi-wan kenobi series plus hayden scream time potential because we've been on this stupid show before wondering how is Hayden going to be used? You don't bring him back just to shove him in the armor. We kind of took it and ran with, oh, yeah, we'll get a bunch of flashback shit, so on and so forth. Uh, but now with what I know, and I'm not saying that flashbacks may not happen. I just I that was a question I asked and there was no confirmation. He's like, listen, I didn't hear that. I don't know. All I know is X, Y and Z. So here's our X, Y and Z. And one of these confirms the leak we talked about a few shows back from Star Wars News Network and where, where they had that concept art of Vader in his healing chamber. So uh, we, we can also confirm that now. It, it, it happens. There is a scene with Hayden in the armor, all gashed up, as, as my source said, uh, and, and the helmet kind of going back on just like we, we saw in Empire. So 
everything Star Wars News Network shared there. The 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 graphic of Hayden being all beat up. I actually think I had it here. Yeah, that's all going to happen. You're you're going to see. It's not going to be a puppet like like Rogue One. You will see Hayden out of the armor, all gashed up, white, pale looking, with essentially getting redressed. Who knows what's going to precede that? But in terms of the rematch. And in the article, if you're looking, I actually put the rematch and then in parentheses ES, the rematch is. So here is the meat of the leak or of this exclusive. So according to our sources, Obi-Wan and Darth Vader are actually going to interact multiple times throughout Kenobi. All right. And they will be meeting in the flesh because one of the things I put out there is like maybe they get around some of this shit with uh, the, the, the force flash flight uh, fights that they used in the sequels. And, yeah. and he's like, no, they meet multiple times. They have multiple interactions in the flesh, no force bullshit. They are present with each other. So that's the first kind of big thing. It isn't just a rematch. There are multiple encounters between master and former apprentice or brothers, if you will. Um, we can also confirm, and I thought this was a great way to kind of explain how these interactions are going to build upon each other. Because what our source told me is that these interactions between Kenobi and Vader are going to be very similar, if not identical, to how they staged the fights in The Phantom Menace between Darth Maul. Uh, for example... You know, you get flashes of Maul, you see where he's headed, then you have that first little battle on Tatooine between Qui-Gon and Maul, all right? We're going to get very similar scenes in Kenobi where it could just be a quick tussle, like, oh shit, Vader, oh, Anakin, you know, that's Anakin, and blah, 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 and then Kenobi runs away or, or Vader has to get away, probably Kenobi. But these small interactions are going to ultimately build to a duel of the fates showdown. The big rematch that, that Kennedy and a lot of people at Lucasfilm have been teasing. Now, my, the source does not know the result of this rematch, but us being fanboys, I, I'm, I think it's going to be a safe bet that Kenobi is going to win again right um it would play into a lot of the lines vader says on the death star in in episode four and as i brought it to my friend he's like well dude lines and scenes are only as good as the most current ones that precede them so while you know people like me could get all salty like well you know when vader says i haven't uh, felt that presence since it was about (laughs) mustafar right well it's probably no longer going to be about Mustafar. It's probably, probably now going to be about these battles eight years prior that they were having uh, between each other uh, in Kenobi. And again, Vader's line, like when we, when we last met you, you know, I was still a piece of shit, but now I have figured out myself. I am now the master of my powers and this relationship. All right. And I also think, Nick, one of the lines that could have gotten screwed in Return of the Jedi or these interactions are probably now going to make this line make more sense. And it's when Luke and Vader are talking on Endor and Luke says, like, listen, dad, I know there's still good in you. 
I'm going to snap you the fuck out of this nonsense. And, and Vader specifically says Obi-Wan once thought as you did. Yeah. With what we have seen so far, Nick, there's no context for this line, right? Because it's not like on the fucking shores of Mustafar, Obi-Wan's like, oh shit, Anakin, that mm. is you. You are coming back to the light. My bad for <laughs> mutilating you. No, he left him to fucking die. <laughs> there was yeah. he had he had no hope in redemption for Anakin Skywalker. So throughout these interactions, there's a good chance dialogue is going to take place between these two where Obi-Wan may almost try know it's not going to happen, but he may get Anakin starting to think like, you know what, this old fuck, I think he's right, but I'm still not, I'm still, I have so many internal conflicts with my bad choices in life that I, I, I fuck them. He's still the asshole that fucked me up. I need to be angry. I'm going to keep focusing my anger on him. So if anything, Nick, I, I think we can we can confidently report that Kenobi and Vader are going to fight multiple times. It's going to mirror the the Maul and Jedi interactions from the Phantom Menace, which I think is cool. And we're more than likely going to get dialogue from Kenobi where he believes deep down that his former friend can be brought back from the light and and this is speculate that stuff speculation the multiple rematches is not speculation is their conversations while they're battling and then ultimately i do think obi-wan's probably gonna get his ass kicked more than mustafar but still not (laughs) enough where he's he's gonna come out on top and i'm hoping for maybe slashing the helmet a bit or exposing some of uh the 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 human aspects of vader yeah and in, you would also have to assume that a lot of this is going to take place off of tattooing. I, and yeah, this was I mean, a conversation that, <laughs> right? that, that both of us have had multiple times, yeah, whether so, he's going to leave or not. Uh, but I think this all but confirms it. Yeah, so I'm the asshole uh, on that front, Nick, because you, you've always been the one. You're, you know, you, your brain is more open to, to uh, th- this stuff than, than mine was because I'm like, no. You know, again, being the traditionalist, you got to you got to adhere to all the new hope lines and he's he can't leave Tatooine. Who's going to watch Luke? And yeah, um, you know, unless Vader just keeps showing up on Tatooine and getting his ass kicked left and right and come comes back for more. There's a good chance there is going to be some some planet hopping with Mr. Hello there after all. So kudos to Nick. Yeah. And uh, definitely a fail on on my part. All right, so really the, the the next part of this exclusive is just Hayden himself and how much he is going to be involved in Kenobi. Um, our source has confirmed with us that Darth Vader, all right, Darth Vader, not Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader is a major thread in Kenobi. All right, so most most shows are only going to have one or two major threads, maybe two. Yep. In this one, we can now argue we're going to have Kenobi and Vader. So yeah. the way it was sort of explained to the source, Nick, and this is me kind of adding some speculation to it, we may very well get almost dueling point of views from Kenobi and Vader throughout Kenobi. You know, we may yeah. finally get some of that behind the mask insight into Vader's 
thought process in Kenobi because it was made clear to me that Darth Vader isn't just a vehicle for action scenes. That I was specifically said, Vader's in it a lot and not for fighting. Which, again, this is me connecting dots, means we may get exposition-based Darth Vader fucking scenes, and that gives me a boner. All right? Yeah. I mean, it's something that we've been asking for forever. I mean, specifically, we're like, all right, just give us a whole Darth Vader series where we're just, like, living in his head and seeing his rise during the periods of time after episode three. But it feels like that, that this is going to fill that kind of void. And the, the entire relationship between um, Anakin and Obi-Wan towards the latter half of Anakin's life has always been based off of point of view, mm-hmm. perspective, how you see things and what lens you look at life through. And George made that very clear to us, not only in episode three, but also in episode six at the end when he's sitting on the, you know, on the, on the log, it's like, oh, from a certain point of view, he, what he did kill your father. So, I mean, you have to, you have to remember that the, the relationship between these two characters has always been built off of their individual perspectives. Yep. So I think it's a, a genius move to, to essentially continue that through line by having them essentially play co-main characters co-main threads yeah, that, in this that's show. a good that's a good way to describe it nick and it, i i could be overselling it but that's that's how it was explained to me it was like listen hayden is in a in a lot but as vader so i mean that was my next yeah. point because i asked i was like all right are we gonna see the dude as as general skywalker any, any of that stuff and and the source is like we never even got that far in our conversation like i said it was just kind of in passing he kind of laid down the yeah the um the, the heavy stuff on me and that's about it but like i said at the at the start vader healing chamber that that's going down you're gonna see that scene uh, in fact let's just say the source of a source of a source may have been directly involved in the shoot uh so yeah <laughs> you, you will see hayden in the um busted ass pasty looking uh, shell of the former anakin self and I think that would be fair. And it sounds like it's going to be more than just the back of his fucking head like we got in Empire Strikes Back. Like, it, like it's a scene, you're seeing him, and the helmet's going to come down and, and seal. Um, yeah. and, and last but not least on this report from your boys at the Star Wars Time Show, and I know it's kind of silly, but when this person tells me or explains that it's going to be epic shit, I take it to heart. Uh, because th- these days, nothing really seems to move this person, especially from a Star Wars standpoint. But yeah. <laughs> um, but really, just um, our source relayed to us that the Kenobi production pulled off some, in quotes, epic shit. All right. So if you think, of, think about that and then juxtapose it to the notion that Vader and Kenobi are going to tussle multiple times instead of just one, that Vader is a main thread. Like I said, my friends, I know it's called Kenobi, but I'm being led to believe now that it could very well be called Brothers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, apprentice, former apprentices, something like that, because it yeah. does sound like uh, Hayden had way more to do than we probably thought he would. And that he is mostly going to be the Dark Lord versus his his former self, Anakin Skywalker. 
and it's going to be epic shit. And, you know, I'm, I'm most excited for the epic shit. Cause like I said, when, when this person yeah. describes epic shit, then it's probably going to be ridiculous in nature from it, from it, like an action standpoint. Yeah. I mean, that's from what it sounds like, this is going to give us everything that we wanted from this series at plus some, I mean, we, we never assumed that we were going to get a ton of Vader. No, we were I did not. Like, they'll use him sparingly. Yep. He'll be in there to like, you know, really reinforce points. But it seems like the way that it sounds, he's going to be one of the bigs. And this that which means the series is going to take on a completely different life than what we expected. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was like I said, it was it was a nice little update. I know it's still kind of like most people, "Eh, whatever, it's it's not it's not it's not like, oh, he says this or this happens. But uh, let's be real. I mean, outside of figuring out who some of these actors are playing, we know everything that ultimately happens between these two characters. So. Yeah. It can't get too wild. It can't get too wild. But just knowing that that Vader sounds like he's going to be a, a major threat. I mean. That's those were the exact words that gets me excited, Nick, because like you were kind of uh, postulating here, we could almost get that fucking Vader centric series that we've been pining away for uh, yeah. under the guise of Kenobi, <laughs> you know, under, you know, you and it's, yeah. it's you and series. But guess what? Uh, Vader's the number two, if not one and a half. Yeah, exactly. So it's a super exciting time. Hopefully all goes well and we get kenobi in 2022 hopefully if uh this this disney plus day goes off without a hitch we may even get a little bit of a sneak preview of i i would Uh, think so i would i would hope we at least get like one of those sizzles that they did for andor because i mean hell kenobi's fucking shot and probably posts lots of posts done where before andor hadn't even started shooting yet it was all pre-production shit that they showed in that sizzle reel so I, i think you're right nick I do think we are going to get uh, maybe not a a traditional trailer for Kenobi, but on November 12th, outside the Boba Fett special, uh, I do think we'll get a look at Book of Boba Fett in some capacity, maybe B-roll focused and cast and crew interviews. Uh, Kenobi sizzle reel and uh, maybe Andor a new sizzle reel or that B-roll approach, if not a teaser. Because uh, these days, the word is, at least from the leakers out there, you know, believe them or don't believe them. I tend to believe this one. I think, uh, I do think they're going to save Kenobi for May to coincide with the the May the 4th and all that stuff. Yeah. And maybe no, Andor goes sense. before that. You know, maybe Andor is like uh, February, March after book ends, which we'll be talking about right now. So, Nick, yeah. we got the date. This- like yeah this was another one where it's literally the shit fucking happened while we were recording the show last week and it just it it burns my ass because it's like well now i got to do a fucking post for it and then talk about it when everyone's like yeah no shit sherlock but i guess we'll we'll frame the discussion slightly differently and and we're talking about we we finally know book of boba fett dropping 1229 on disney plus Got a new poster of the king right there. Looks fucking aces. And of course, the community that listens to the show came out in spades to recreate it in in their various art forms. So kudos to all of you. But Nick, December fucking 29th for the book of Boba Fett. I mean, we might as well <laughs> just pretend it's 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 a 2022 series at this point. It's going to get one yes, one episode in. 
I know you. You were kind of like me. You had more of the curmudgeon take on it. I, I This is our question of the week, so we will get different takes on how people feel about the release date. Uh, me personally, it's like whatever. I'm I'm off for four weeks around the holidays, anyways. Uh, that's just academia for you. So I don't. I understand the argument. I don't know if you've seen it, Nick. We're like, yeah, sweet. Most families will be off, and it's after Christmas, right before New Year's. So we'll, we'll get to have a big kumbaya watch of them. I'm like, great. Uh, I think to me it was just. And I knew it was going to happen, but seeing it in writing and knowing that, yep, they're sticking to the fucking Wednesday uh, debut <laughs> date is just like, man, they did it. They really did it. They really, yeah. they really let Loki fundamentally change how they roll shit out for whatever arbitrary metric that they think makes sense. That oh yeah, a bunch of people watched it on a Wednesday. It's like, well, so what? Did they did they buy their subs to watch it on a fucking Wednesday, or did they just watch it on a Wednesday? Because I don't really see the need to move everything to Wednesday just because more people watch it to be on a Wednesday. Yeah, like for me too. Like, it's nice for some people because, like you were saying, like, oh, it's you know, you're together with your family and and stuff. Personally, I would have liked to see an earlier release date, but that's just me. Like when I'm when I'm with my family, we don't really like my mom and dad don't watch star Wars stuff and you know, we, they don't really care about it. They also don't have a Disney plus subscription. So, I mean, I would have to sign into mine, but either way, like I'm not going to watch it with my family. It's not appointment television for Nick is what he's saying. Like this isn't, no, it, 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 yeah, it's not, it's not going to be like, Oh, Hey family that I only get to see, you know, in this instance, once a year now, uh, due to COVID, like, hey, sorry, I got to take like a an hour long break and uh, watch this Star Wars show, and then I'll get back to you. You know, it, it's a little <laughs> bit different than. Hey, you know, mom, dad, I'll movie. see you in an hour. See ya. Yeah, it's like a little bit different than a movie when your movies re- would release around this time of the year, because then you could say like, hey, I'm gonna get some of my friends together that I haven't seen since high school. And, you know, we hang out only when I'm in for Christmas. We're going to go see the movie together. It's going to be a good time. Like, this is a 45-minute long TV show that's debuting literally right when people are traveling home or are home for, for holiday season. Um, personally, would have liked to see it release, you know, maybe around the 15th of, of December so we had a couple of episodes that we could get in before the new year. But essentially for me, I'm, I'm not going to watch this show until – you know, the, the, the new year, essentially <laughs> like until 2022, uh, just because of how the release schedule is. Yeah. Up. I mean, it, this is personal shit, but it, it's like I explained before, I'm now going to be adding three hours to like a, a pretty hardcore work day. I mean, Wednesdays I, I lecture sometimes for almost five hours. So I'm just not looking forward to those grinds. Cause I have mental problems. I still feel compelled to make star Wars content, even though, Let's be real. The internet has spoken. The YouTubes have spoken. No one gives a fuck. Uh, I'm the only one that gives a fuck, and that's a a me problem that I need to work on. Uh, but yeah, it's it's that. I just I do not like the Wednesday debut day. It's just it's stupid. Friday is Star Wars Day. That's what the Mandalorian ushered in. That's what it should have stayed as. And the the late December. I mean, at this point, I believe it'll be a full fucking year since. Mandalorian ended you know that that's a long stretch of time to make fanboys like myself wait to see a story get continued and yes Book of Boba will indeed continue the story in the timeline of the Mandalorian so 
uh, it is what it is, right? It's as as more positive right. fans replied, Nick. It's Star Wars, and it's on the schedule now. So we should probably just shut the fuck up and be happy. But you know me, <laughs> I like to bitch, and yeah, right. I had to I had to complain about something. So there you go. <laughs> At least it's happening, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like I said, at we, least it's happening. The date is out there now. It's been put out into the world. It is now etched in stone. We just gotta wait for it. So, indeed, I'm excited. All right, hey, yeah, thank same. you, thank I'm you, Jason. Sure. We need about ten thousand more of you, and we'll be good to go. Um, so, if anyway, hey, back to our old story. If anyone still cares to try and get our Kenobi leak up onto Reddit, that'd be great. I would assume. Uh, that outlets like covering Mando started filming that actually having some details about Kenobi's plot would, would fit that, that uh, forum. But I guess I'm an idiot. Um, speaking of stories from that forum that I still think have less meat than what we just talked about. Nick put this one up here about uh, Mina Masood. Uh, but he, uh, what was this, Nick? I'll, I guess I'll let you run with it, but he kind of did an interview essentially saying, yeah, I, I'm I'm fucking pitching myself for the role of Ezra, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he had a, an interview with Ash Crossan at Screen Rant, and basically during the course of the interview, it came up like, oh, well, tell us about the, the, the famous Instagram post. You know, you know the one, the one where you essentially self-cast. Yeah, your belly's as, hanging out and your nipples Ezra, are hanging out. Yeah, as, as Ezra Bridger, and, you know, Basically, Mina said, like, well, why else wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? Do <laughs> I love nowadays, that. He's like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. It's like nowadays shit like that happens. You know, Rosario. Like, you, you put yourself out there and you say you want the role. And even though initially it wasn't something that people were thinking about, if you know, when they see it and they see the fan response and hey, this kind of shit just pops up and, you know, and, and then you get reached out to and. Uh, as we know with Mina, he already has a relationship with Disney through the live action Aladdin, which made over a billion dollars worldwide. So you know that he's got a little bit of uh, of bankability behind him. Yeah, but he actually has he been given a role since, though, because I, I believe it was either like Will Smith or someone had the stump for the guy like, listen, hire this man. Yeah, he. Yeah, I don't know if he's gotten a role since, but he was having trouble like landing stuff after that. It looks like now. He's been in a few things right. since Aladdin, you know, but um, nothing huge. I mean, if he were to get the role as Ezra, then this would definitely be the biggest thing that he's done yeah, since Aladdin. Um, but essentially, I mean, like the, the interview was nothing. He was just like, yeah, I'm putting myself out there. Clear, Like, you know, I want to let people know that I want it. Um, but, you know, conversely, we've seen the other side of things where even recently uh, former Xena actress, uh, Lucy Lawless said, Hey, I don't think that you people know that sometimes these fan campaigns can actually hurt. Oh your yeah. I'm glad you look at, look at Nick dipping into the well. This is something we almost ran with last week. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so Lucy was talking again in an interview about, Oh, have you seen the, uh, the buzz around you potentially replacing Gina Carano? And during the course of that interview, she said, yeah, I've seen it and, and everything like that. But people don't realize that when you start these campaigns, if there were things in the works, th this can actually hurt it. This can actually, you know, be a detriment to you getting a role that would, you know, you were talking about or getting something else that would, that could potentially be in the same universe. So we always look at these cat. Well, Nick, I think, like I think she went, helping. I think she went as far as to say that 
she was in talks for a Star Wars role. And yeah, that's what, yeah. potentially all this fan stuff may have blown those talks up. It's like, yeah, yeah, so there is there is kind of a downside to the fan casting. I'm sure most celebs love it, especially those that may not be getting the work they want to get. Uh, but she did have a, a completely different take. So I'm glad you you remembered that. But yeah, I mean, people are fan casting her for uh, the fuck. I, I even forgot the Cara Dune at this point in time. Cara I know Dune there's, a, there's, there's yeah. a lot of huge Cara Dune fanboys out there, but uh gina or not i I never really found the character to be that that engaging but whatever we won't go down that rabbit hole so yeah she she was implying that she may have gotten taken off the board because of the fan assholes out there like no do you be her because at that point then i guess the people the creatives are like well shit if the fans already see you wearing that aqua jumpsuit then we can't really cast yeah, you as a, a different character in their eyes or, or they'll, they'll pitchfork us like we know star wars fans to do so um yeah like like nick's saying it it sounds like this is still down the fan cast and self-casting race is down to uh mina masood and rahul cooley still for rahul, her, uh, yeah. for, for live action ezra and who knows they'll the, uh, you know watch disney they'll probably end up going with like a a milk toast white guy like they'll bring in uh, <laughs> cal kestis to play Ezra Bridger or something fucking yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, if yeah. I had my picnic, I would, I would take either or I think uh, Mina probably represents Ezra better visually. Uh, but yeah. I, I feel like Rahul knows the character better. Okay. So yeah, I'm not, Cause, cause Mina didn't really go. No, he dropped, like, he dropped oh, a I good, this character. he dropped a good quote though that Ezra used. So I'll, I will give him that yeah. credit, but I, from Rahul had a, a multi tweet campaign and you know, exactly. he, he kind of knew his shit. So um, I, I would take either, but I, I do think visually Mina is probably the better fit for an Ezra in his, what he'd probably be in his twenties if we're bringing him into the Mando timeline. Yeah. All right. Okay. Real quick before we get to the fan segment, I'm sure a lot of you collectors saw this out here, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time and who knows if he's even still available, but just in case you were not on the IG today, IO nine broke the news that the next uh, figure from the Mandalorian wave is, is out. Well, it's actually, it's, it's been available for pre-order for a few hours now on Amazon, Nick, and it is the mortar trooper, the black series mortar troopers out there. And uh, like I said, Amazon exclusive, always hit or miss. I was able to secure one like 45 minutes after launch. So I don't know if they've actually fixed this one and anyone can get in and pre-order as long as they do during the window. But if you are interested in the Black Series Mortar Trooper from the Mandalorian, he or she is an Amazon exclusive. So check it out. All right, man, it's time for that fan segment. And like we usually do, we're going to go ahead and start with the fan question of the week responses. So let me get some screens changed for you, Nick. And while I'm doing that, the way to get involved in the fan segment is it's a true pronged approach these days, my friend. We, We give you multiple opportunities to play with the Star Wars Time Show. And the first comes in the form of the fan question of the week, which is going to get posted every Tuesday morning to the at Star Wars Time Show Instagram account. Uh, I try to keep it themed to some of the topics we're talking about. So this week, the question was, 
How do you feel about the book of Boba Fett releasing on 12-29-2021? All right, so... Once it's prosed, you can answer via the stories or via comments. And then on the show, during the first part of the fan segment, Nick and I will read up to, well, if I'm doing it sometimes six, if Nick's is doing, mm-hmm. Nick is doing it five uh, responses. So here we go. Responses to this week's question of the week. Up first, we have Lima for photos. I'll go ahead and take this one since I've been blabbing. At least they made the cutoff. I guess it's a good replacement in quotes for the usual holiday releases they did for the most recent Star Wars movies. That being said, any Star Wars content release, regardless of when they do it, is always welcome. True. Yeah. True, True saying that they made the cutoff because they did say this is a 2021 series Jeez, I mean, for the first episode. <laughs> I guess they could have pushed oh, it even closer if they if they tried. Well, yeah, they, they could have done it on Friday so, and literally the yeah. the last day. But oh, well, yeah, the the absolute last day. But yes, very true. Uh, ground Chuck, G-R-N-D, <laughs> Chuck says, uh, great way to get people to renew subscriptions in January. <laughs> there you go. And he's right. There's I mean, a there's a curmudgeon take on it. We had to get one in there. It's like, it, it, I mean, he's right. You know, you you essentially that's one thing that they they should have thought of. Like, hey, we essentially lose a month of sub because if we release this on the fifteenth and we do fifteenth and then thirtieth for our release dates, then you would say like, oh, maybe I'll I'll sub in Jan or, or December so I don't miss the first two episodes. Instead of just saying, well, I'll just sub in January, you lose that 2021 uh, <laughs> sub, and there you go. But yes, Ground Chuck saying he will be there for January. Uh, Mud Scuffer says, should have been before Christmas. Waiting all year sucks. I mean, he's right. That's where I'm Waiting at. Like, all year yeah, I, I'm a pouty little, little, you probably can't even say bitch boy anymore, but yeah, I'm a pouty little bitch boy. I, uh, I'm like, man, because uh, didn't Mando season two, Mando season two ended what mid December, right? Yeah, I think because she, I think it, it, it I think was, it debuted it, it, it debuted like mid towards the end of October, ran all the way through November, and I believe the Luke moment happened the week before Christmas. So that's what I'm saying. It's like we we will have gone a full year of no Mando inspired content, and that makes Matt sad and mud scuffer. The season premiered on the streaming service Disney Plus on October 30th. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you would do a two-week cadence up from there, then, yeah, it would take you to the middle of December. So there you go. Um, yeah, man, it's been it's been a long time. But, you know, I guess that's it'll, what It'll be do. here Next before one. you know it. Yeah. Next one, Boba Fett Fan Club. It's on schedule, so that's great. <laughs> there you go. His, if his it's fan club's happy, we're happy, right? Yes, we just look. We just need. I guess we just need it to release. We're just being little babies, of right? Of course, of course. Two seven nine seven Studios says, "I think the timing is perfect. People home on break. Xmas is over. People will be craving something new, and Hawkeye will most Ooh, likely taking not a be shot at the enough. MCU. Look at that. There we go. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I, you know, for some people that is a good time because like you're if you're a Star Wars whole family, family yeah, being yeah being home will definitely help you it'll it'll definitely be a nice little uh bump a, le- a nice little uh, uh viewership experience but for me somebody who's not like a part of a star wars family it, it will it, it basically is just like okay well i'll watch it when i get back right to uh to austin 
So uh, those are the fan takes this week for the question of how do you feel about Boba Fett releasing on 1229-2021. Thank you all for your responses. And be sure to keep up with the question of the week every Tuesday before our show goes live. You got it. So now, for those of you that may be new to this shit show called the Star Wars Time Show, the second way to get involved in the fan segment is through our iconic top five Star Wars fan artist features of the week. So way, the way to get involved here again is, is Instagram is always going to be the portal to the show. Uh, if you are, if you are a Star Wars artist of any kind, tattoo, real ass paint, toy photography, fecal photography, it doesn't matter. If it's <laughs> Star Wars related, we want to see it. And the best way to do that is to tag at Star Wars Time Show in said content and use hashtag star wars time show so every day i will go through both of those uh avenues i'll look at the shots that were submitted and i will feature a handful of them as i talked last week sometimes my ocd brain will let me do odd numbers sometimes will let me do even numbers it just it just really depends on the day but once that's done we'll go through a full week of features on instagram and then nick sits on his throne on monday just like a king, like like a Targaryen. Anyone else watch the trailer today for was the, the the House of the Dragon or some shit? But anyways, he sits there like a Targaryen on the Iron Throne and knights five artists a week to be featured on the show, which brings us to this week's version, which dates 927 to 10-4. So Nick, good buddy, who is the first candidate for this week's top five? It's funny because I was going down and I was uh, picking out some stuff for the top five this week. And the first one was actually actually ended up being the new, the last one now because I accidentally picked two by Scale Galaxy. But the first artist up this week is at Broken Artist 98. And they have an awesome shot of Mr. Heavy Mando in the foreground with regular Mando, a.k.a. Din Djarin in the background. It's a great exterior shot. I love the natural lighting here. And the figures are posed in a perfect way that makes it look and feel realistic, yeah. alive. Mm-hmm. Um, just great job all around uh, with the posing and everything for this shot from Broken Artist 98. Yeah, you, you hit it for me, Nick. It's the outdoor setting, getting that a- atmosphere there. And then, in, it, you know, if you're on the stream, you can see it. If you're not, I'm trying to explain it. But uh, on the left side of the image, you get that nice little light burst that some of the atmosphere mm-hmm. uh, kind of picks up and, and accentuates. But it, it is. It's it's the uh, it's the posing, you know, it's almost like they're walking through a, 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 a Mandalore's version of a, a, a rice paddy, right? Like they're, they're the Mandalorian yeah. Vietnam and, and they're, they're staying frosty is probably the best way to mm-hmm. put it. They, they, they look like they're ready to open fire at, at any moment. And you got to love when you get that, just that feeling of being alive from well-posed plastic figures. So Good job there at broken underscore artist 98. Beautiful, beautiful work. Next up, this was a, this was a favorite of mine as well as a fan favorite over a thousand likes on the IG. At Rippick Tan, look at him. Yeah, at Rippick Tan. He's a, he's a very uh, common commenter on our uh, question of the week. Very engaged Star Wars time show fan. So we, we, we like Rippick underscore Tan. And what we see from Rippick here is a shot, a very poignant shot of what seems to be dead Admiral Thrawn 
laying amongst a a host of weaponry surrounding him and it's it's iconic weaponry from the star wars universe i mean it, it's surrounded by lightsabers of which you could probably name all of them uh specialized pistols from from some of the biggest names in the game helmets and everything it's a, for some reason even though this shot is is relatively uh like it's very complex, but it's also very poignant, and it seems like, hey, do man, you know like, what this whoa, is in? Do you know happen. what this is in reference to? I do not. There's a scene in Suicide Squad, I believe a, de- a deleted scene. Uh, actually, mm. let's just go out the Ripick's account because I believe they included it. But it's a scene of the Joker laying on the floor just like that, with a bunch of knives and shit pointed at him as he's kind of going. Uh, manic oh, okay. in his room so I, i'm on ripic tan's page right now yeah there it is yeah, nick if, it. um so yeah it, it's actually in an homage to a dc moment but with star wars and i love that nick and i both kind of gravitated to it with 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 different purpose right i was like oh shit i've kind of seen this before what is it based on and luckily ripick put it in there to remind me where nick took it as like this is just fucking a cool idea so i I love that we kind of came came to it with with different mindsets yet we both deemed it to be a a kick-ass shot yeah i mean you could think about it as like i know and i know that there are some weapons in here that you know thrawn may not have directly uh, affected for for lack of a better term because you have Ray's pistol and you have Kylo's lightsaber but the way that I was looking at it was like look at you know during his time as the you know the uh, Grand Admiral of the Imperial Army look at all the lives that that he's affected and in, in yeah like you know ways. people after him whatever the message is behind I don't know why I, I'm assuming yeah. in in Suicide Squad, the idea was like, yeah, this 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 clown's fucking nuts. Like he, this is yeah. what he this is what he does in his free time. He lays around his floor with all of his arsenal. Uh, but I think Ripick uh, repurposed it perfectly for Star Wars with with Thrawn, who very very uh, may well be the the puppet master for the Mandalorian timeline. Okay, I mean, very, yes, very technically, we know Palpatine's still doing something over on Exegol and some aborted clone fetus. But it does sound like, at least in the way season two went and some of the mentions we got, that, that Thrawn could be a huge player in the Remnant Empire. So just, just really enjoyed Ripick's creativity here, if anything else. Yes, absolutely love it. So at Ripick underscore Tan on the Instagram, I think that actually might be a double underscore because that's like super long oh boy, underscore. That's, that's tricky. Yeah, okay. be careful, <laughs> friends. Know. Just just make sure to find them. It's 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 honestly Nick. It's one account that I have seen grow week to week. Like like you can tell Ripick, you know, probably got bit by the bug a year or two ago and has just honed and honed and honed and has gotten better and better and better at setups, dios, lighting, atmosphere. So like I said, definitely an account to follow. Definitely so. Beautiful job. Next up is at failed imagineers. Customs. First off, I just love that I love that uh, <laughs> that handle, the failed Imagineers right. handle. For those of you who follow Disney and know what an Imagineer is, 
uh, well, it's kind of, I mean, then, Nick, I think you and I could be failed Imagineers because I know I'd love to be working in entertainment, specifically with John Favreau and Dave Filoni. And, and you just said, you know, it's it's great talking to people like Alex, but it also reminds you that at one point in your life, you wanted to kind of be him and do, and do that. that type of shit. <laughs> so, yeah, we are. Yeah. We are definitely uh, textbook failed Imagineers over here at the Star Wars Time Show. One hundred percent. But this shot here. So I think like you said, Matt, this is one of uh, failed Imagineers custom figures. And what we see is a is a repainted slash rebuilt up. It's, Boba yeah, Fett it's crazy. He, he just looks so badass. He's got like a like a trench coat, almost like a like a like a Punisher style trench coat. <laughs> yeah, on. like the sleeves are cut out. It's fucking it's yeah. bitching. And the the paint job is completely new. It's like a navy with an orange trim. The uh, the and the, just the scene itself. I mean, I know this is showing off a custom figure, but the scene itself is pretty awesome. You see an explosion happening in the background. He's like rocketing off with his rocket boots. And the, the I mean, really the 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 key here is the figure itself it it stands out it pops and that's what really caught my eye i was like holy shit what is this boba fett i know i've seen a thousand of them re- released by every toy outlet ever but i haven't seen this one before oh yeah and it makes sense because it's it is like a custom figure. it's like um and, and shit i can't really even use this because i call him neo fett but l- let me uh re- rephrase it it's literally like neo from the matrix dressed up like boba fett right because he's he's got yes. that 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 black duster it's got all sorts of fucking weapons tucked into it strapped to it hanging down from him you can see there's like a a submachine gun hanging down towards the bottom right he's got grenades on his pauldron he's got looks like he's got detonators on his his chest armor this mandalorian if it's boba fett or not just it looks like uh one mando to rule them all right Yes, absolutely. I mean, he's the he's the badass that that is just hanging out in the galaxy that doesn't and need it, to. And he doesn't he there. doesn't give two fucks about Death Watch's pledge either, because uh, no. he, he is definitely not honoring traditional Mandalorian armor with that <laughs> rad ass coat so. that he's wearing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, those additional uh, arm pieces as well are probably not standard Mando uh, protocol. Yeah. Yeah, so, so he's like, he's like, uh, fuck you guys, you you paint chip eaters. I'm hanging out with Bo-Katan. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So um, I guess if you like this figure, you check out Failed Imagineer's page. Um, and then he said he's opening up a limited number of commission spots for the month of October. So, oh, yeah, look at that. Interested yep, in right there. Reach out to Failed Imagineer's on the IG. There you go. Um, next up in the top five is at the underscore shadow underscore layer and this is a beautiful shot here of the heiress the the future queen of the mandalorian Mm -hmm. people this is bo katan herself and what really stood out to me about this is is just so much vibrant color in here but it doesn't feel you like you don't feel overwhelmed you see you know bo katan right there in center frame but then the the environment and the diagram that's used in this shot by shadow layer just accentuates everything that's happening. Just beautiful posing, the fire and the smoke coming from the background, and then just the entire dio is so expertly that's, used. The, the, the dio to me, Nick, is 
I believe it's all practical. I really do. I, I think a lot of this is practical. I could be completely wrong. And if I am, that just goes to show how excellent this shot and, or this scene was, was set up. But it really kind of pays off on what Alex said earlier when we were interviewing him and, and really the, the look of Star Wars versus other sci-fi. Um, I, I guess Firefly is very similar to Star Wars in that it, it, it's it's a future that looks broken down. It looks lived in. Yeah. And that's what Shadow Layer accomplished here with this uh, diorama, be it digital or practical. It has that Star Wars lived in feel, right? It's not all shiny. It's not all uh, sanitized looking. It doesn't look like the, the, the Tanta four hallway. It's just a, it's just a very well composed shot. And, and like Nick said, it's that, that or strong orange backlight that, yeah. that then gets kind of accentuated and picked up through the, I'm guessing practical, um, fog here just completes the shot. So Excellent it work does. here from at the underscore shadow underscore layer. Beautiful, beautiful work. And the final entry in the top five, Man. like I said, at Scale Galaxy was almost busy. made it twice. Was busy. <laughs> Scale Galaxy was busy. I mean, I saw, because, you know, obviously Star Wars Visions is fresh in our mind. I go onto the feed. I see a bunch of vision stuff, so I'm just clicking them open, and they're all from yep. Scale Galaxy. I mean, I was like, okay, well, I can only pick one. Scale Galaxy so. literally watched Visions and then went to work on making custom Star Wars Visions figures. Yeah, I mean, it is absolutely insane. And the one that we see is from what seems to be near the consensus favorite. This is from the duel. Yep. And what we see is the invading Sith Lord to the village and her incredible i don't know how else is umbrella it, lightsaber umbrella yeah. yeah um fully fully uh customized here i it seems by scale galaxy and and the figure itself is almost picture perfect to what we see in the show i mean the details in the mask it's the great. details in the garb i, I mean well perfect. you know what nick i i believe we found scale Around, well, a little, you know, once the Mandalorian started last year, he was one of the first to just instantly whip up a a Boba Fett, right? Like and, the yes. uh, yeah. Nomad Fett, the splashy paint Fett, repainted Fett. The Omegas as well. I believe he had a couple of custom Omegas yeah, just, that, like, that were like, coming out around. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he's got like a, a mold injector in his house or something. He just can <laughs> fucking make figure molds or what. But Scale Galaxy in terms of the, the end product and the t the turnaround time is one of the quickest and most efficient Star Wars customizers out there, because uh, you know, like Nick said, he he picked the the female Sith. But if I real quickly, if you'll allow me, Nick, I'm going to pull up Scale's page. I mean, he made the Ronin looks fantastic. Yep. He made Toby looks Toby fantastic. Was all, yeah, he was. <laughs> and it uh, looks like we got one today. I don't, I, it just look, and now looks like he, he's making some of the fucking remnant uh, Empire forces from the, the duel. And they're yeah, perfect. Like, I mean, the, the, it's like in. he somehow got the, the, the concept art from Star Wars Visions and is able yeah. to plug these into. I don't know if he sculpts them, if he's got a printer that does this shit. But I mean, my goodness, amazing. Just amazing work from from Scale Galaxy. And like I said, I'm impressed by the craftsmanship. But I may be even more impressed by the the turnaround time. Yeah, 
it's it's a, truly incredible how fast he can get high quality pieces like this out and photographed and and up yeah. for everybody to yep. see. So uh, beautiful work at Scale Galaxy on Instagram. Just beautiful, beautiful stuff with these custom Star Wars visions. Yeah, I pieces. think I think Sergio needs to change his profile from just photographer to photographer at, at all or something like that because yeah, right. there's more than just photography happening on at scale galaxy so uh, another great follow yes. if you're not already and just to close out the top five our star wars time show giveaway is still going on we have reached the minimum amount of posts required oh, for our giveaway i believe we're at 30 now so we've doubled it but hey keep adding stuff if you haven't gotten your submission in yet, we have at least one more week left for admi- uh, submissions yep. uh, to be open. So get them in. Use the hashtag star, uh, SWTS giveaway. Tag two friends in your post. And there you go. Uh, so just a reminder that the giveaway is happening. It's live now. Put your posts up. Hashtag SWTS giveaway. Tag two of your friends. And there you go. Yeah. Hey, I finally found just as you finished talking, I finally scrolled to it on our profile. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's still out there if you need that, the details and you're dumb like me and your your gray matter deletes everything Nick just said within the next 10 seconds. Uh, but we still do have the post out there and we, we'd love for those of you stragglers to um, get involved. Uh, the main post is just a, a good way to let other people know that this is going on. But like Nick said, to be entered... Uh, to win the prize package again is an official Star Wars Time Show Flex Fit hat, a TVC the Armor, TVC the Mandalorian, TVC the Child, a Lucasfilm 50th Anniversary Black Series Jackson, and a Gorilla Pod 325 from Joby. So to uh, officially enter, as Nick said, uh, when you make a post dedicated to Star Wars. Again, it doesn't have to be toy photography. doesn't have to be traditional art. It, anything Star Wars related. It could be you sitting there, you know, singing Star Wars. I'm talking about Star Wars. You know, doing the Bill Murray. It doesn't matter. Anything. It's like, what? why do you love Star Wars? What is Star Wars to you? So once you post it, just make sure, like Nick said, to use hashtag SWTS giveaway and then um, tag two other friends. That'll get you entered. And next week live on the show during the fan segment we will be making the selection okay there we, we haven't go. quite figured out how that's going to be uh, i don't know if we like whittle it down to like a top three and we kind of do like it or maybe a top five and do like an agt like uh the next one oh, to make the cut it? and then who? i'll do like six manscape commercials in between each cut down <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> no, we'll tell you after the break that that that, that type of bullshit but all right, so oh, man. there you go. Thank you, everybody. Is it time to end it, Nick? We good? We good it to put it to bed? End it. Take us to the All dance. right, I will, I will be happy to do so. So as we always do at the end of the Star Wars Time Show, and if you want to, you can, you can shimmy and shake along with me, but I'm headed over to StarWarsTime.net, which is where we like to refer 
all of our existing fans and hopefully new listeners uh, after hearing an episode of the Star Wars Time Show. Over on StarWarsTime.net, you can get all the content we're going to talk about on the show or just some of the content we make and no one checks out, but that's okay. I still like doing it because I have a mental sickness. In addition to finding our content over on StarWarsTime.net, more importantly, this is the easiest way to get looped into all of our platforms. Be it the traditional podcast, you can find jump-off links for all the good ones, Apple, Google, Google, Spotify, Android, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, Deezer, Nuts, you name it, we've got it over on StarWarsTime.net. Now, if you're sitting there going, hmm, I don't really like just listening to these idiots. I like seeing how dumb they look, too. Well, don't worry. We have you covered as well on StarWarsTime.net. Is it beat into your brains yet? Say it with me, people. StarWarsTime.net. Uh, we also have our YouTube jump off point. And in fact, if you just click the subscribe button like I'm doing right now on the live stream, it will automatically get you subbed up. You don't even have to make another click because we love you and we believe in the three click rule of the website or of the web in general. No more than three clicks. Trust me, I'm a professor. All right, people. And why do we want to do this? Well, you long timers, you know, you fandos know there's always time for Star Wars time. We just need to convince more people that that is true. And I, I, uh, I believe it in full because if Nick and I can kind of <laughs> drag this fucking show through the summer and no real Star Wars content, there truly mm. is always time for Star Wars time. So we do appreciate your loyalties, and hopefully some of you uh, new subscribers will stick around and keep spreading the word. All right? Because if you do, and you do listen to the Star Wars Time Show, you will learn, and then you will know that the Force will be with you. Always. Always.